please hit like, share, and subscribe. Now enjoy the Practical Guitarist Podcast. Good evening, Jim. Good evening, David. How many new things do you have to share tonight? I Not have, a damn I have, We're, we're going to fly right through this episode. Jim, Jim's having an allergy night, so we're going to try to get through this as quickly yeah. as possible. Um, so I got some new stuff. So first, I got this. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So this came Nice. Off. You haven't even taken the plastic off yet. I Just am not taking the plastic, the plastic off, off until I guarantee I'm keeping it. Um, yeah, good idea. So I've been going back and forth on this thing. I got it and I played with it the first <laughs> night I had it and I was so frustrated I want to throw it against the wall. Um, and it's not because I don't know how to program it. I use Helix Native. It's just oh, yeah. because I was trying to get tones together so I could go to an open mic the next night, which will be talked about in the gig report, but in very minute detail because there are two gigs. I want to talk about one of them more than the other one. They're not really gigs. It's just you know things I went to. But um, I want to talk about one more than the other one because it was more fun and interesting and dramatic, whereas the other one was kind of like not something that actually happened. Um, So anyway, I bought the HX Stomp. I got it home. I started programming it, and I just was banging my head against the wall with these tones and like was not happy. And I went to bed pissed off and thinking, I'm just going to return this thing and I'll get the cab M. And when I went to go the next morning, I was like, I'm going to give it another shot. I sat down. Um, I dialed in a new tone that I thought sounded better and I was kind of going in and out throughout the day, like coming in and going and then coming back and playing some more. And what I was realizing was like, I didn't really like the new tone I dialed in that I thought I did the morning, but I liked the tone from the day before that like I spent four hours on and was pissed off because it didn't sound good. <laughs> so whatever, you know, it's just my ears are being really fickle and I was just not happy. Um, so yeah. it's good. It, this device is going to have a multitude of uses. Before anybody like starts calling me and goes, you're done with digital. You just saw like you had this already and then you had the camera. So I had the Helix, the big guy, right? Yeah. Um, I sold it. Since then, a lot of software changes have happened. The new software came out. Helix Native has been updated. I've been playing around with that on the side. Um, there was a time period where Helix Native wasn't even working for me. Um and so they've patched all that. And a couple of weeks ago, I think I'd revealed on the show that I actually was liking Helix Native. And so um, I started looking at the in and out options. You can see this has got yep. stereo ins and outs. Okay. Yep. Um, expression pedal one and two. So you can have two expression pedals or foot switches. Um, it's very flexible that way. You've got a stereo yep. send, stereo returns. Okay. And we're going to get to that in a second. And this is huge. MIDI in and out. When this product debuted, it did not send MIDI messages out. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It did not. Um, it does now. It does now. And yep. it was certain messages that it wouldn't send out. So now I can right. do patch changes. And there were I can do continuous controllers. I'm yep. pretty sure I can do pretty much the full range of MIDI implementation. I haven't dug super deep into that, but I'm going to do that yeah. soon. There were amps I, it would not work with before. Because I need to be totally sure I'm keeping this guy. So yeah. I need to look at that soon. That's going to be a thing that's going to happen in the next probably week or so. Um, 
But here's the idea. So for all these people buying ES8s and buying the um, the controller that the guy from that pedal show makes, those products are great and they're fantastic, but only one of the products on the market really does everything I want it to, and that's the MS3, but it's not right. as flexible and it doesn't have the sound quality that the HX Stomp does. Now, the HX Stomp won't do the switching on and off of my dirt pedals, but I can buy a MIDI switcher that'll do that. And just run yep. a MIDI cable and use this to send the connection messages to make that all happen. I can even take the the beat clock from my beat buddy from via MIDI and plug that into here and use that to set my tap tempo. I have a multitude of items that I can use this for. Um, and also, I can also take it to an open mic. And you'll see why later in the episode at the end why having something like this is a boon for me to have available just just to get through certain things. Because, look, I am the first to tell you, if you have the option to take an amp to an open mic or an open jam, take the amp. But sometimes that option starts to look really unattractive. And I think we're going to talk about that at the end of this episode. I think it's going to be a a central walking away with point where people are like, huh, I never thought that could happen, but it did. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I know so what you're stick around to the oh, stick around to the end. Jim knows I'm going to tell the story the way it happened. Okay. Yeah. Um, and of course, there's three versions of everything: mine, theirs, and the truth. Um, I'm sure the audience will know the truth. Okay. Um, so anyway, let me um let me get our our um controller software up here so I can actually control the little LEDs that run this show now Ooh. because I just realized Gig Report is lit up. And that's not supposed to be the case. We're not talking about the gig report yet. That's going to be at the end of the episode. So, where is my controller? It should be on this page. There it is. All right, let me, uh, let's take us back to title LED. So, uh, that was what's new. All right, Jim, you got a what's new. Do you have anything you'd like to talk about? Yeah, oh, so I have more too. I, so just go ahead first. You you go ahead first. I got more at the end. That's okay. I'm kind of I'm kind of talking about what I already have, but something I found out with it. So I was using the Kemper, and I got the the uh, um, the mission pedal for it. Right, the and, and I'm happy with that. Don't get me wrong. And so it it has a switch, and it has the um the thing. toe switch, the infamous toe switch on those guys. It's not. The most it's in- not it's yeah. not something that you can count on i don't think I don't, i'm not because i don't really feel it so i've actually gone back to my other wah pedal but i'll tell you there's a there's a bigger reason i went back to wah so you can't toe switch like morph and wah so if if i toe switch it's either volume and morph or i can do uh but wah is a more so they see wah as a morph. They don't see wah as a wah. It's not as a, a an expression pedal. So it's not switching it is, the it function is, of the expression pedal when you hit the toe switch. It 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 only it goes morph, but the morph is the wah. Right. So you can't like morph. So those who don't know what morph is, it allows me to go like I can increase or decrease the amount of delay or whatever. In other words, I'm using the expression pedal to change variables one or more. 
within the um, within the uh, rig that I'm using at that, that selection. But if I morph, I cannot wah, because wah is a morph. It's seeing that as a change in the expression. Correct. So I was like, okay, I, I don't care because I like my my expression pedal much, or I mean my my wah pedal much more anyway. So I you know what? I figured it, that's it, what you were going to say because I was not a big fan of the wah and the Kemper. But I'll tell you, I kept trying and trying and trying, and I was like, I, I don't hate the wah, but yes, I do. So anyway, so, <laughs> so um, I love the way that I can change the gain, which I was really satisfied. And you can change the volume. You can do a lot of things. So it comes in handy. And morphing me is more important than wah, because I use wah so little, what I would do with the morph. And so the, the thing that I was um was that now i have a bag another bag because i don't want to put both of the pedals in that one bag so i i have another small bag that i put my morphin wine and you only take so the, anyway and you only take the wall when you need it you don't need it on every gig i mean but no one and i got to put a video together there this because no one talks about it. no uh, one you might so there, you might there's actually, no videos you might actually yeah, go, go and ask in a in a kemper users group about this before oh, you no, post yeah. the video because that's that's where especially the one that that um I can I can send it to you. There's one where HW yeah. hangs out. I'm I'm one with HW. Um and I could have asked, but what I wanted to do was see if somebody had a video and I and I looked for morph and wad, wad. You're not gonna find that. And the and the things I found it in here of all freaking places, mm-hmm. the instruction manual, but not this instruction manual. I had to go online. Yeah, the 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 current one, because the one you get is always out of date. As as thick as this is, it's only like Eight pages that's that's useful because unless yeah. I want to read it in German or yeah, you know, I, their, their manual is like why did not even bother Spanish? Um, Espanol. So anyway, so I I, uh, I found that out and it was it was frustrating, but it was helpful. I I like having to search through that crap because. Then I say crap and as if it's you a negative thing. You might learn something else as you're looking through it. Right, and I learned so much about morphing and so much about what I could do with it. And what, I was like, wow, this is so cool. Don't and get too addicted because you'll never be able to live without it. <laughs> I was ready to throw that pedal right back to Sweetwater. I was like, this pedal. And then I said, no, now I really like it. Yeah, I really no, like I, it. And I honestly think that's the best case for having two expression pedals. Yep. with the Kemper and then the other thing is if you get the optical or the expression pedal that has the spring and spring loaded step yep. on it your walk comes on you don't have to switch there to anything and yep. and then you have two expression pedals but at the end of the day it's like this is this is the way it was designed you know um yeah. so that's yep. my thought. definitely definitely a big plus to me um it was like having a new Kemper it really was it was like I added a Kemper to the Kemper and yeah. I'm finding so many things that you could do with the buttons. You know, I know that you, that a lot of systems allow you to control more than one thing. Right. To, the Helix does that, but with buttons. But to be able to, to turn fade the off between them and to time the fading, so you can say, you know what, yeah. I want, I want four seconds of fade here. I want two and a half seconds. You can literally sit down and go, okay, during this song, I usually fade and fade out this thing. And so there is one where I fade in a flanger and I fade the flanger back out and it's just a it's just a touch of the of the morph. I, I love that. Yeah. About yeah. it. And and uh so learning so much about it, um, enjoying it uh to the max. So 
Okay, go. All right. I'm ready to share my last what's new. Sure. So I bought the HX Stomp, right? And I started realizing, well, this thing has a three three amp power supply, which, by the way, look at this fucking thing. I know. I I am not afraid to say fucking with this. Look at this thing. Are you are you oh, serious, guys? I know. Are, th- and that's what, what they year? give you with the big one too. What what year is the, no? So the big one no. The, oh, big, one right. has the big one has the IEC regular... mains cable yep. because right. this is inside the unit. But right. come on, guys, what the hell? I mean, so put it at least in the line. Right, Who has right. that much space at the damn? All right. All right. So, so take a guess how many amps this is. Uh, hold on. Let me let me take a guess. I'm not googling anything, Buzz. Um, One moment. Amps or milliamps? Shut up, Siri. <laughs> yeah, amps or milliamps? Uh, milliamps. Okay, milliamps. Because it's just uh, amps. 750. No, no. This is three thousand milliamps. I was gonna three guess three amps. Three amps. Jesus. Okay. Now, take a guess how much the HX Stomp actually uses. Uh, 600. Am I close? The HX Stomp actually uses 1,000 to boot. So around 1,000 when it boots. After it's yep. in consistent operation, it uses between eight and 900 milliamps all the way up to 1,000, depending on what you're doing with it. Okay. All right. This is this is your typical one spot, right? We all, we're all familiar yep. with these. We've all seen these horrible, awful things. Yes, I own one. Um, yep, I've got one right here in front of me. All right. Take a guess how many my... milliamps this is. You might know this because almost everybody's had one of these at some point. Uh, 3,000. 1,700 milliamps. This will power the HX Stomp. Yep. Why on God's green earth, and I did not buy this to power the HX Stomp. Why on God's green earth are we dealing with this? Would, would somebody, might, line six, please comment. Explain to me why this is a thing. Okay, explain to me why that is a thing. Now, that's that is what it is. So I realize I, I can't I run the plastic off yet. <laughs> I can't run that off my pedal power two plus. My pedal top power two plus. Okay, so when was the pedal power two plus um, come into fruition? Oh. Probably in the mid two thousands. Okay, so yep. it's like one of the first power supply products for boards that was actually decent. Um, yep. There was the pedal power two. And then a few years yep. later, the two plus came out, which offered some additional options. Now, right. um, of course, there are many options in the field now, but they're still kind of the industry standard. Some people still like them. Um, I still have a two plus. I've actually owned two of the things. And I also owned a Pedal Power X8 or something, some other product that they made. Yep. And I used to daisy chain those things. So I would use the courtesy out to power the next one in the chain. Um, and I used to use two of them on my board because I needed more power outlets because I was insane and had like 15 pedals on my board. Um, that's okay, right? I don't do that anymore. And I've been sitting on that Pedal Power 2 Plus that I've been using for like a year or two now. Oh, longer than that. Yeah. Since I bought the, um, since I did the the Fuzz Facts thing and I did the um, the Jim Dunlop mini Fuzz Face video like eons ago when this show started. Um, yep. I bought one. Because I needed a power supply for the show. All right, so here, herein lies the herein lies the new the new item for purchase today, which was kind of a whimsical purchase. I will cover up the price. I'm pretty sure I know what it is. Okay, go ahead. I bought yep. the pedal power three plus. It had to happen. I needed it. I needed it anyway. 
Um, yeah. I was I was out of power on the, the existing board. I'm not actually adding things to the existing board. I want to make that very clear to people. What I'm actually probably going to do is rebuild it next year. And everything on it will use probably 9-volt power. Um, it will probably be um, sub-500 milliamps, except for the Line 6 guy. I actually have the cable on order for this so that I can power this thing off of the Pedal Power 3+. Plus. And that will allow me to have a happy ecosystem of the various pedals I'm going to use. I'm actually probably going to trim down my delay and reverb. If you'll recall, my current delay and reverb on the board, actually one of them is back there. My reverb is back there right now because it's off the board. Um, that's a Walrus Audio Fathom. And then on the board, I have a DM2W, which I do adore. And I also have the Delay Llama Extreme, which might end up on the board, um, the, the big board. We'll see. Because right now that's that's been on my open jam board and it's been fun. But I don't know how long I'm going to have an open jam board because I'm going to have this guy now. So um, thinking about how all this stuff lays out, I'm yep. sort of thinking this becomes the controller for a bigger switching board. That's like the regular size board I already have with a different set of pedals on it. So it'll right, have right. my drives that I like at that given moment and then maybe like my uh it'll have my sum face of course um or my boss was a craft uh fuzz that's that's going to be coming as soon as those get released i've also pre-ordered that so there's another what's new for this week this has been an embarrassment of things that i can't afford but i'm going to pay for them anyway um and i actually can't afford all this stuff i've been saving i've been saving my pennies um to try and make some stuff happen at the end of the year uh, prior to Christmas, uh, my birthday's coming up too. So that, that's the whole thing, but, um, getting all this stuff onto the board in this happy ecosystem. So I'm looking at products like the Morningstar ML five, which is a five loop switcher. And then I can actually put that into the stomp and then use the stomp to control loops on and off. And then I can use, uh, I can actually use this to run, wait for it, seven cable stereo i can have stereo amplifiers with effects loops patched into the hx stomp this sounds like absolute madness and it is and i can't oh wait to God. explore the insanity that that is going to be wrought with this with this box um i you know i i poo-pooed the delays and reverbs eons ago they've got new delays new reverbs um some of the new delays were out when I actually got rid of my Kemper. And I think I just understand them better now. Or my yeah. tastes are changing in certain kinds of delay. Because I found myself like being like, yeah, okay, I can get down with this delay. Or, and some of the new reverbs, they have a new Hall reverb that uses a ton of DSP. But man, does it sound good. Um, it's it's Kemper quality. Because that, that Kemper, the Kemper verbs, I mean, you got to, Jim. The Kemper verbs are great, aren't they? The 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 new ones because they have the legacy verb in there too. But the uh, the new reverbs seem like they're just they when I had it they were just stellar. They've got great reverbs and they just added a uh, um a do a doubling. Uh, yeah, the which doubler. sounds really good. Yeah, yeah. So I'm just like I'm over the moon right now because I feel like. I'm about to take this big leap forward into the 21st century again in a different way, because I'm not like looking at this primarily as a modeling device. So that was the first thing I did with it when I got it. I'm like, this is going to be a Swiss army knife of programmability 
and functionality that I don't have on my board right now. And where I'm going to be able to do things like control multiple pedals via tap tempo. Um, yep. You know, I'm going to have a, I'm probably going to end up with one of the Morningstar programmable MIDI controllers as well, which those things, if you've never looked at them, they're freaking wild what you can do with them. Um, but just getting all this stuff married together and being able to do some of the things that like those big rack rigs in the eighties could do without, yep. you know, 500 feet of cable, uh, a, a refrigerator and, and, uh, two guys to lift it. Um, yeah, it's just going to be, it's just going to be outstanding. I'm, I'm very excited about it. And of course the pedal yeah. power, this thing is great. I know people are like, Oh, the Strymon one's better. Look, it just depends on what your needs are. If you don't need 18 volts, you don't need the Strymon one. If you need yeah. extra ports, this has it. The Strymon doesn't. The Strymon is still like 20 or 30 bucks more than this too, by the way, which is yeah. like a whole other can of worms. And so like, I'm totally content with buying this over. And then I'm motioning to my pedal power three plus over the Strymon. I also looked at um, the one spot and though the one spot is cheaper, um, I chose to go with something that I know has great customer service and support because yep. I have had power supplies fail on me, but I will say this. It was out of the box. I plugged it in and I won't say what manufacturer it was. Yeah. But I had one. Fail. I had one blew up. It basically burned out in front of me, puff of smoke. And I went, geez, I just plugged it in. Like, what the hell? I literally well, took it out of the box, plugged it in, didn't plug any pedals into it. And it went. Yep. I believe it. Ninety nine point nine percent of the time, that's going to be a transformer problem. Yeah, it um, was just it was just something that it wasn't quality checked when it left the yep. when it left the factory. And it could have even been a cap. You know, uh, caps go poof all the time, especially if they're sitting on the shelf for yep. a while. So yep. Uh, so that's not surprising. I so I just literally I have I have three pedal powers, and I just ordered a one spot. So there you go. Um, and I, I have, um, no use for the one spot, so, and I'm not going to return it. I'll just, I, I'm a hundred percent sure I will find a use for it. Yeah. You know what the one spot's great for is when you have like something on your desk and you want to check it out real fast. Well, no, I'm not talking about that. that I, I have the one, one spot. I bought the CS seven as well. Yeah. I have that. Uh, it's on my, seven, it's on my looper board. The seven output. Yeah. And so I'll use that like at home so I don't have to pull the one out, pull the other one. Yeah, but I mean, um, even, but, the, even these single guys like I held up earlier, this game, yep. it's just so convenient when you've got a brand new oh, pedal yeah. and you just want to throw it on there real quick. And like, yep, for, that's for what, what I do. They, for what they cost, I mean, it's like, just get one. Um, it's a no-brainer. Yeah, I, I think they're, what, like 20 bucks or something? Or less. If, if that, you know, um, it's worth it to have one around and they actually work pretty well. So if you're in a pinch and you had to put like, I can power my battery board off of it when my battery's charging. So that works, that works out. Um, actually that was the most comical thing about getting the HX stomp going was figuring out what drive I could have in there that sounded like a BB preamp and it, it heads up. It wasn't the, it wasn't the TSA to wait. <laughs> it was the, uh, it's actually the Dyna drive, Diana drive. Dynana drive? I I don't know. I, I why can't they just call shit what it is? Why, why don't they just because call it, a Zen drive? There's some kind of yeah. There's some kind of uh, thing. 
Uh, copyright. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, of course, of course, of course. Just like the litigator model is actually the um, the <laughs> the dumble. <laughs> oh yeah, but that's oh you know what that's something to add for news. Remind me <laughs> when we go to news time for uh, drives because there's a there's an important piece of uh, well now it's time to share news so go for it. I oh. mean, so uh, who's the guy that that created the um, uh, the the super mystical centaur uh oh bill finnegan finnegan so finnegan has re-released the red one the the ktr red one. yeah he, KTR. he redesigned it this old news um yeah but but what i fat what i saw on it because i might buy one what i saw on it i had to laugh i i busted up laughing and uh robert jackson kind of zoomed in and i went oh that is hilarious he put he put something to the effect that uh, the um, uh, all the hype over the kindly, original pedal is not my fault. Not of my making. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, no, that's been on the KTR forever. Like that's been I on that, on that pedal for, for like a decade. Yeah, but I'm, I've never seen the KTR before. I I think I'm going to buy one. Yeah. I What's mean, a new one go for? Like three hundred bucks, four hundred bucks? Well, right now probably four hundred dollars. But um, so it's that's kind of funny because the KTR is like uh, it's been in and out of production. And he just announced that they changed components in it so that they could continue production because there were some things. I think there were some diodes that they couldn't get anymore. And he basically showed in a live video, there is no sonic change from pedal to pedal because he knew people were going to be like, no, I want the other one because, you know, so just, you know, for what's worth, I just buy a new one. Um, if he's saying there's a sonic change, I trust the guy. Like, honestly, the guy's been very adamant about, please don't buy my pedal if you're buying into the hype, you know. Right. So I, I think he's probably not blowing smoke. All right. You got anything else? Yeah. What's, you got any news? Anything else you want to share on what's new? Not for what's new. All right. Let's move on. I'm trying to get Jim in and out of here fast. He's been blowing his nose. He looks like he's dying over there. All oh. right. You could have called it tonight. You could have. Jim had nah, to do this for, for his fans. He had to get I, you know, we're, on, you know, yeah, we haven't, yeah, we haven't recorded in a while. I think this will be this will be the only one in the uh, in the box or in the can. No, so. we have we have two in the can. I finished editing oh. one tonight. It should launch this week, and then we're I'm working on the next one this week. Hopefully for next week's launch, and we will be caught up. So I'm Yay. hoping we'll be caught up. All right, so. So by the time you guys see this, my Mucinex will have already caught up with me. Thank God. Yeah. Next uh, next segment. Tonight, we have very special news to announce for everybody. <laughs> Fender has acquired Presonus. Oh, my Holy God. Holy shit. They bought a company that's worthless. You guys know how I feel about Presonus. Jim knows. He knew this was going to be like David's just going to run with this one. Can I tell you a persona story once once you get Sure. You I, go I no, you go right. first. You go first because I'm gonna take up the and rest of the a, time. <laughs> we have a persona board on our on our um in the band, the big band I'm in. Right. So right. there's this big persona board, twenty-four inputs or something like that, eighteen inputs. It's a big board. It's really just I mean, the whole thing is is done with the iPad, so you don't have a board like there's no sliders or yeah, anything. Yeah, yeah. You cannot connect to this thing. You're screwed. Your modem better be working in it, right? But anyway, it, it worked when it when it works. It's great. All right, so I I uh, said, hey, I'm gonna bring I'm gonna bring my in ears. This is a lesson in people um, learning how to use this stuff. So 
I'm gonna bring my in-ears to the to the gig. Okay. I get to the gig. Gotta plug in my in-ears. This is not a gig report, folks. So Yeah, this is not a gig. This is this, this is, is that's not what this is about. I'll talk about that later, but so I get there, I got my thing, and I hand over my quarter inch to quarter inch to go no. It's only got XLR. So I drive all the way home, get an XLR to quarter inch, bring it back. Nope, we need ma um we need female to male. I bought one of those this week too. Go to Guitar Center, pick up a male or female to male. Now I'm the the early guy, ten minutes late to the gig or well to soundcheck. Get in there, plug it in, doesn't work. Nothing's coming through. Nothing. I'm like, what in the fudging sickles is going on? Welcome to pre-sinus. Hold on, I plug it into my I plug it into my uh uh Kemper, works great. Plug uh, quarter inch to quarter inch to my Kemper, works great. Plug it into the pre-sinus, doesn't work. It's not the cable. It's not my thing. Nothing. So I, he goes, man, I don't know. I bought an adapter for mine. I go, let me see the back of yours. I look. He's got a low Z to high Z uh, impedance masher. It's not just an adapter. It's not just a you know quarter inch to you XLR adapter. You have to have the right impedance. I'm like, you didn't tell me you had you had to impedance match this thing. I figured it was putting out line level. That's what this thing is looking for. Nope. Nope. It stopped. So, because <clears throat> you know that's what the Kemper yeah, puts out. Because it's because it's put if it's putting out. So you're saying it's putting out instrument level, and your right. and your, and your uh, wireless system can't pick up instrument level because it doesn't have enough. It needs line level. It doesn't have enough gain. Right. right. I have right. the same problem with my Presonus interface. Yep. So there shock you go. and disbelief. So it took me three days. I, I got I get a uh, of course the Audio Technica one that he had was sold out everywhere, but I just ordered the Shure one, plugged it in, worked great. It works perfectly now. I'm like, I, I put it on, I put my earbuds in, you know, put the in ears in, and I go because it was so loud. <laughs> well, it's good. So that's it. That's that's what I uh, I put up with with the pre-sonus. It's a pre-sonus um, minute. Okay. It was. I'm gonna take the. I want to take our listeners back. I want to take our viewers back. Let's go back to a time before Fender owned Presonus, when Fender was known for such wonderful gems as building guitars and amplifiers. Yeah. And later on, like really later on, like 50 years or 60 years after they'd been in business, they figured out how to build effects pedals for worth a damn. Yeah. Um, and and all was well with the world, right? Now, let me ask your let me ask you a question. What has Fender always failed at? Yeah, and digital I, stuff. And I was just gonna say, digital stuff. So naturally, when they decide, oh, we need to get into recording, um, probably because they're looking at industry trends and realizing that it's probably the biggest selling item during the pandemic, um, they realized, well shit. In our portfolio of brands, we don't have a single recording company. And yep. they went, well, let's change that. And then they bought Presonus. Now, think about this for a minute. Do you really want Fender? Fender. Fender. I'm saying this multiple times because I want you to really think about the brand here. Do you really want this brand in control of one of the pre the preeminent prosumer recording devices, equipment companies. 
Okay. They put out uh, PreSonus put out a, um, a, a what do you call that a, a press release that pretty much read it was almost like they took Mesa Boogies when when get um, when uh, Gibson bought them and they just just crossed out Mesa and wrote PreSonus. <laughs> I think <laughs> I think PreSonus here at Mesa I mean PreSonus. <laughs> I think PreSonus was trying to get acquired. And I think Personas has been trying to get acquired for several years. And I have a lot of evidence to this, but let me just put it this way. When I ran into the guys at Sweetwater who said they were reps, they were hired guns for the event. They had never worked for Sweetwater or for, for, for uh, Personas before. Personas. Yeah. Okay. And they were acting like really shady and acting as though they worked for the company until they were asked the question directly. Okay. Yeah. Which is why I'm like, this is really interesting. A company that doesn't want to put any money into its appearance at a trade show, what is essentially a trade show, um, is now being acquired by Fender. Now, yep. All right. So I'm I'm the first person to, and I and I'll, I'll I'll go out on a limb here and I'll say we don't want monopolies in this industry because monopolies take away competition. So the first thing the Fender is going to do is they're going to say, well, how can we squeeze PreSonus into and I know this is like people are going to get mad because we said this is not what was going to happen to Sweetwater. But but look, PreSonus is a profitable company, we would assume at this point. Um, yeah. They've been re- releasing products year over year. They have yeah. interesting products, like like the fact that they're making like life boards and stuff now is yeah, pretty is it's pretty, great. Um, well, I mean, it's, it's a good idea. Uh, I don't know if it's great or not, because obviously oh. people have problems like yours. Well, and they have a... I, I think I know what Fender's after, but go ahead. I think I know I, the they, part they of want, that. They want, they want a name and an engineering department and all of that stuff so they can start getting into the home recording space. They do not offer a home recording product. Even the That's stuff right. they do offer, their drivers. Look, one of the things they've gotten their ass kicked on is the Tone Master like IRs because they don't have, they don't have software engineers to actually build the software for someone to be able to put their own freaking IRs in those things. Yep. I mean, I, honestly, like at this point, that's just kind of jaw dropping. That you're you're an industry leader and you don't have that kind of expertise and you don't feel comfortable hiring it. But I think part of it is also because they want to get into that home recording space and they feel like they need to buy a brand to do it because they can't do it themselves. You, right. you know how hard it was for them to get into the pedal business? They had a failed line right before the line that actually succeeded. Like if anybody doesn't remember that, about three years before the, the pedals started showing up again, they had a failed line of crap that nobody wanted. Okay. And I'm pretty sure I haven't heard this confirmed from anybody specifically in the news community, but I'm pretty sure they hired outside engineers to develop and design that line for them. Okay. So yeah. Um, I think that's what PreSonus or they think it was PreSonus that brings to the table. Now, here's the joke on Fender, right? So Fender's like, we're going to buy this semi-successful company that has a long history uh, history of expertise in the field that, for people in the know, is like filled with like kind of shitty products. I mean, take for instance, I have a Studio 1810C. That is the thing that powers my side of the show. And I have had episodes lost due to it. I have had countless hours of productivity 
just burnt trying to figure out sync issues with it. It does not function well with my, um, I'm laughing because my cat just pulled a can off the table that should not be sitting there of, of their cat food and is now eating out of it because my, my children decide to leave the cans laying around instead of throwing them in the garbage. Um, anyway, um, they, they have a long track record of building products that just aren't great. Like the, the interface I had before this from them was the uh, Inspire Firebox 1394, which was like this little bitty thing, but it was supposed to be modular and it was it was Firewire and you could connect multiple boxes together to get more inputs. And the whole idea was that every band member would have one, right? And then you would go into a room and you'd record. Well, I, I, got, I got gifted one for Christmas, okay? Right. And... Um, the noise that that thing generated was just absurd. And I, I was convinced mine was broken and I actually threw it in the trash. I didn't, I didn't try to sell it. I didn't try to figure <laughs> out what was wrong with it. I was like, wow, that's terrible garbage. Okay. And then I yeah. bought a Steinberg UR22 that I used for years after that. In fact, I used it in the start of the show. Um, yeah. And then I bought this guy and it's like, I was told, oh, the drivers are better now. They fixed a lot of problems. It doesn't have the problems with interference, but holy shit, does it have every other problem you could possibly imagine? I mean, oh, yeah. the drivers are stable. They work great. No, they don't. No, they don't. And there have been times yeah. I've approached you and asked very specific questions about things like clock sync and you can't answer them. Yeah. And then slowly you're like, there isn't an issue. We're not, we're, we're going to cancel this ticket. And then like two weeks later, there's a, there's an update that addresses the issue. Yeah. Right. Which, which tells me right there, you don't want to admit that your drivers suck and that you need end user feedback to tell you what the hell is wrong with them. Where are you getting your people to help you develop this shit? And I've, yeah. had, I've actually had conversations with a couple of um, audio hardware engineers who design this kind of stuff. And they're like, yeah, it's sort of a known thing that a lot of their stuff is not great. Um, so anyway, if you have love for PreSonus, hopefully their product gets better. But I don't I don't have anything in this deal to suggest that PreSonus is going to like write the ship. And I know there are people that, that I listen to the show. There are friends of mine that actually have PreSonus products they actually like. So I don't think everything is this bad. But I think that like they have a lot of misses. Another thing that I noticed about my particular interface, which is actually true of the entire line, um, it has four inter four inputs on the front and it has four inputs in the back and they're line level inputs in the back. So um, when I talked to the engineer at, at GearFest, I said all of the control, which there's six knobs on the front, uh, all of the control for the various inputs is in the front, correct? Because right. I'm looking for game um. controls Right. And the guy says, no, actually, the two, he, he knew this. He said the four knobs on the front control the gain levels of the four um, microphone XLR, you know, combo jacks. Yeah. And he said the two, the two, uh, two jacks inside are for headphone. And he said the line ins in the back are, are, they're configured so they can be stereo or mono and it's software gain. So you could go in and you can adjust the gain in the software. Guess what you can't do? Adjust the gain in the software. Yeah. Which means that, um, they are like, a, they're not really a flexible line in, okay? Which means that you, you, you can't adjust from like consumer line level to uh, pro audio line level, or you yep. can't take like a pedal and plug it in and then, you know, 
just take a direct off of that because it's way too low in signal level. It's the same thing you were dealing with. It has to be the proper signal level in order for this right. thing to work properly. Now, yep. I, I, I look, I've been around long enough to know that companies do this. Yep. Um, they, they, they do put line level without any sort of gain adjustment. Usually it's customary that like on a higher end inference, you'll see a pad, um, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. So you can take yeah. line level down to consumer or vice versa. Um, they might have a they might have a, a line, like a, a line boost or something, but you know yep. you won't normally get a gain control per se, which is why I asked the guy at Gearfest. I said, "Does this thing have gain control for the for the external outputs or the inputs on the back?" Yeah, it's in the software. No, no, it's not. No, it's not. It doesn't exist in the software. The only thing the software does is controls your zero latency monitor mix. The, yep. the actual driver for the software, all it actually does outside of that, anything that you would actually need for recording is basically your sample rate, your clock source, your block size, and then your input output format, whether you're doing 18 channel or eight channel, right? And loop back. That's it. The, the, the actual software that comes with this thing that looks like a mixer is only strictly for monitoring, okay? So in terms of, if you plan to do any sort of actual mixing with the interface itself, forget no. it. Just forget it. Right. It's not going to work that way. Right. Um, yeah. And I'm just like, guys, when you buy a $400, you know, $450 or $500 interface, you expect to be able to do some rudimentary routing before you touch the console, you know, like the, the, the doll, right? Like I would right. want to be able to sum to stereo and say these two. No, instead... This is how stupid it is. So this is why we've lost we've lost episodes because of this. Um, it has four inputs, all right. One right, two left. One, uh, three right, four left. Right. That's the way they assigned yep. it. So in Windows, in the in their infinite wisdom, they decided to make it just like that for the Windows driver. So you can only have stereo pairs. So if I'm recording something on channel four and I didn't explicitly define channel one, set it to mono and pan it hard right or hard left in OBS, guess what? I'm not getting any audio. And that's happened to us before on this show. Okay. Which is like, that shouldn't even be a thing. That shouldn't even be a thing. Like, oh, well, they're like, well, the ACO driver doesn't do that. I get it, but you're assuming that everybody uses your product is going to be using the ACO driver. And that's just ridiculous in a day of age where OBS is one of the dominant uses for your product. Um, even it's so like even um, UAD has made improvements to their product to make it more cross-functional with things like that. Um, uh, there's R something, their name escapes me right now. The baby, the people, RMI. The people that make the baby face, okay? And some of those interfaces, that shit's professional level. Like, that's not pro-am, okay? So you could actually make the argument that some of the UAD stuff is pro-am, um, even yeah. though it does get used in pro studios. It's aimed at people who can afford it for home. Um, right. Whereas, like, RMI, like, their cheapest interface with four inputs that's, like, got four physical XLR jacks on it is 2000 bucks. okay? That's not really meant for people at home. But people do buy them because they're bulletproof. Their drivers are amazing. 
it's it's literally a mixed console and you can route that shit to the actual doll okay so you can have like loop back to a physical output even it's just it's just mind-boggling the routing in there is so much better than what you can get from anything like presonus i just it, it boggles my mind and and here i am dicking around with this piece of junk when i could have bought that or i could have bought i could have bought a uad right and so now well, fender's buying this and they're thinking oh man we're getting a preeminent comp no you're not you're getting like like the bastard child of line six i mean it's i don't think that that all that is what they're after i think what they want is something so they can have so many people because remember not all of us are not everybody is um, looking to be a recording engineer, right? You got too many people that just want to be—it's just them with their guitar and they're trying to to stream to YouTube. So, I think all they care about is getting a device they can put in and do recordings, like um, the simply. tone port. Right. Like I was the getting tone there. Port. I was getting there. Yeah. That's why I brought up Light so, Six. Right. So I don't think they're after anything so um, immediately, immediately complex. Now, eventually they might go in a direction, but I, now, don't, I don't know. Speaking man. of that, I, Universal I, Audio has the new Volt. I was going to talk about that, but that's going to be in the next uh, the next segment. Yeah. So because it's really interesting. Again, remember, Fender's got Fender's got things on both ends. They've got the, the guitar stuff. Sorry, folks, I'm using my cheaper camera today. So my, my hands don't look that great. They get their guitar stuff, which is great. Their amps, which are great, right? We can, all, we can both agree they have gr some great amps and some great guitars. And they've got this Fender Play thing that's online, which is, which is actually need an interface. very popular. So they need an interface. They need something as simple as what you were just talking about, the old Line 6. It was a one-knob thing. Yeah, the tone port. Which interface with Amp Farm? Um, right. That was a really cool product for people who, yeah. who didn't understand the digital recording process. Right. But I, but I would actually argue they would have been better off contracting Presonus to build this rather than purchasing the company probably. wholeheartedly. Right. Probably. Um, and I think in the long run, I think that's what we're going to see. I think we're going to see some Fender interfaces. I think we're going to finally see. So whether it's the current versions or newer versions of the of the tone masters that will give you loadable IRs, I think we will start seeing some better products from Fender. You're going to see some synergy for sure. There's going to be some right. crosstalk and there's going to be some different stuff. Um, I actually there, think Presonus is going to cease to exist. You're going to have Fender yeah. interfaces before it's over with. Right. Fender's done it with everything else. Um, most everything else. Um, look what they did with Guild. Anyway, yeah. so anyway, so um, I think one of the things that a lot of people, uh, and I used to be this person, you had an iPhone, you had an iPad, you had a MacBook. I mean, and, yeah, and, you stuck with it. You stuck with the the uh, ecosystem, right? And you were in an ecosystem. A lot of people that I know personally are Linux and. Uh, they use uh, uh, Chromebooks or uh, yeah, Chromebooks. Yeah, they've and, gone. They've gone like the de de right. decentralized or whatever. 
Right, because I could see a future where more people, unless it's unless it's some serious gaming folks who are not going to have PCs, they're not going to have, not as we know them. Um, and, and a lot of people have been saying this for years. Let me tell you, this has been since the 90s. Um, back to when they had, uh, there was BOS. Remember BOS? I mean, that's far, how far back I'm going. Where you're going to have a, a version of Linux, which a lot of people don't know that that Mac is Linux. It's like a Debian. It's, it's a similar, no, it's not Debian yeah. based. It's right, based it's, on uh, Unix FreeBSD. It's actually based yeah, on Unix BSD. Core. Yeah. yeah. So it's got a Unix Core, just like Linux. And the fact is that um, the there's a lot of good to be done there. Um, and that's because, I mean, the, the expense is there. That's the bad side. But if they could bring those costs down, I mean, if you think about it right now, you have more. If you have a Mac uh, or a, a, an iPad Pro, you have more power than most people have in their PCs. Yeah, that's correct. That's correct. Um, and people don't realize what they hold in the palm of their hand now. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, this this thing is uh, I've got the new thirteen. This thing is is super super fast. All right, let's let's because we got anyway, we got a really good segue into, into wall gardens here. Yeah. Uh, so I'm gonna go ahead and I'm gonna go ahead and switch us over to the next topic. All right. So we're talking about walled gardens. So continuing yeah. on our from our conversation about Fender and Presonus, and we're talking about you were you were mentioning products that were like tightly integrated with one another and that's why people all yep. had you know all the mac stuff all at once and or, or they'd have all the windows stuff all at once which i did that right. for a while i've done both yep, actually i've done the, I've I did the windows phone yeah same i've done both and there are advantages to it but the problem is yep. we live in a software as a service world right right and so you see this decentralization happening everywhere where you can log in on twitter with your facebook account and like it's it's getting to the point where this is going to start crossing over to the audio world so right. right now, um, I can point at a couple of walled gardens, and I actually have a really interesting discussion for the end of this, but but I think talking about the proprietary nature of it is probably a good way to start. We can talk about the fact that as things are decentralized, you need connection protocols and stuff that are going to work. So like, there's a couple of, of companies in our field specifically who are notorious for creating products that only talk to their themselves. Um, one, right. one example is a product actually I really like, which is two notes. So their IR technology is a proprietary format and it is actually different than typical convolution IRs. Um, there's a term for it, but they basically say that the way they measure things is slightly different and the way that they use those measurements is different. <coughs> um, Kemper is a, is a proprietary walled garden format. The KIPR format is not usable by any other product although right. it has been reverse engineered but it's not it's le it's patently protected okay um and we've had conversations about whether we thought quad cortex was violating the patent it's a possibility they might be who whatever um another classic example is uad who yep. has an entire ecosystem of plugins that are considered to be world-class, amazing, top-of-the-line, best-of-their-kind plugins yep. that only run on their DSP processors in yep. their products. Now, here's where things get interesting. UAD has been facing dramatic criticism for this over the past few years because the prices on their products are freaking astronomical. Have oh, you yeah. looked at a UAD, so like a UAD Apollo Twin, 
It's like a $700 interface with, you know, technology from 10 years ago already in it. And people are still paying $700 for these things so they could buy into a walled garden of plugins. Yeah. which just seems mad, like maddening to me where you could go and you could get a slate digital audio uh, subscription and have access to all of the slate slate plugins they put out, which are all good, by the way, from, from what I've heard from others for like $20 a month. Why would you buy a $700 interface when you could just rent the plugins you need during the time you're using them? Um, Right. And have them up to date and have them modified and all the new plugins just go into your account. Like, why would you do anything other than that? Um, So, because UAD offers something that a lot of people didn't realize, which is it has those little processors in it, those DSP chips, that allow you to run it on the shittiest Macs on Earth. Because you can take a crappy MacBook and not use the processor inside of it at all for DSP. You can offload it onto that UAD thing. That's why they got popular. Like, I don't know why people think it's because of the... Now it's because all the plugins are so amazing. Well, the plugins are great. They're just as good as any other DSP plugin you can get anywhere else. They only run on their hardware. But if you run those plugins, they don't run on your CPU. Okay. Now you're starting to see the juxtaposition here. They have a walled garden, but the walled garden is a necessity. Because it allows them to do something that no one else is doing. All right. So it's a little bit different in UAD's case. I give them kind of a pass because I'm like, as much as I hate the idea of being locked into their stuff, they've at least made it possible for you to not use their interfaces and still buy satellites that run their plugins because they realize that at some point you might outgrow their interface and you might have to go over to Pro Tool, some sort of Pro Tool system, or you might have to, you might even, God forbid, go into a studio that is not UAD compatible and bring your satellites with you. Okay. That's right. Um, So... That's all fine and good. That's UAD, right? Now, here's where UAD gets fun. They just released consumer interfaces that don't have the DSP in them, and they're actually attractively priced. Yeah, I have 189, heard... 189 for the one that's pretty much a Focusrite 2i2. Yeah. All the Focusrite 2i2 uh, is 169 All the way up to that's 450 up to or something. Yeah. 450. Um, yep. And I looked at these today. Actually, I looked at them. I looked at video reviews of these today, which is really great. We brought this topic up because I'm like, yeah, I know enough about this to talk about it. So actually what they've done is they've taken some of their DSP products and bake it into the hardware so that you can use their compression. You can use their their famous Neve. It's basically the 1176 compressor and the... uh, the Neve Vintage, I don't know what I don't know what uh, channel strip input it is. It's probably yep. similar. Um, yep, that, that starts at the um, $250 model. And you know uh, what? Gonna be... They sound pretty damn good. Yeah. I, I got to admit, I, I heard some guys doing some vocals with them, and I was like, okay, you know? Um, but that said, like, would you buy this or would you buy the the audio you know the 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 arrow or the you know any of the other um interfaces they make uh and and i think that really comes down to are you a producer or are you just looking to track your own stuff right um so that's you know that's part of the conversation there but uh this is a product aimed at at consumers and i think it's almost them sort of insinuating look we we understand that the walled garden is not where everybody wants to be 
Right. And this is we're going to make an effort to get out of the walled garden. Right now, I don't know if I spelled. Um, I'm looking at the it's just I just glanced over. I don't know if I spelled Esteban's name right. We're going to talk about Esteban in this episode. So if you're if you're listening to the walled garden segment, please come back because that's going to be a fun one. Um, anyway, so here's here's the rabbit hole I really wanted to talk about, though. As much as these walled gardens exist and they can be bad for consumers. And in some cases, like you got line six where they had their what they call it, the, the line six ultimate rig or whatever, where you would use the line six PA speakers along with the line six amplifiers and the line six uh, floor helix or no, it wasn't yep. helix. It was the pod HD 500 pro yep. or whatever. And then they would all work together in this harmony, this like yep. ecosystem yep, of everything to talk. And you know what happened? Nobody bought it. Yep. Because it was, there's just so much crap in that ecosystem that you had to get to get the ultimate rig. Um, yep. And it was like, it was almost like, you don't understand guitarists. We want to buy pedals from Boss and TC Electronic and and get all this different stuff into one place. Even the Helix, the biggest failure the Helix has is it can't be all things to all people. Where the oh. hell is my Lone Star cab? <laughs> like, it's, you know, I got to have my stuff in here. Why is there no Fillmore 50 in the in the HX top? You can't be all things to all folks. And so when you try to do that, people lose their ability to, de to decentralize and find the things they actually need to make music. Yep. Now, this is the rabbit hole that I went down this evening that I thought was rather entertaining. Under my desk, you guys don't know this, but under my desk is my looper rig for streaming. And my looper rig for streaming is pretty cool. I've got um, a Beat Buddy, a One Spot Pro, and a Boss RC500 midi to the Beat Buddy, okay? It's all mounted on a board. It sits under my desk permanently. It's actually wired into my interface permanently. If I had this configured right, which I don't right now, I could hit go and the Beat Buddy will start playing and you'll hear it through the, uh, the outputs on my PreSonus. God willing, the PreSonus functions correctly. Okay, so... That integrates with the RC500 using a, a, a protocol called MIDI. Now, here's what I remembered tonight as a result of a conversation with somebody else. You have a jam man. You have a Digitech jam man, Jim. What did Digitech do that was so interesting in the walled garden? Do you recall? Sorry, I had to unmute. Yeah, they had the jam thing. They had the, the jam uh... sync. Yeah, the interface that, that synchronized your pedals so that when you jammed, I mean, it was a good idea. Um, it already existed. It, yeah, it's called MIDI. But uh, <laughs> but they created their own little... Uh, How did they connect you know, those pedals? Do you remember the connection? Yeah, I got one right here. No, I mean, do you remember the actual, like, the connector? Like, oh, no. What, what, I, what I, I don't have one. All right. So the cables and connectors they chose to use were auxiliary headphone-style connectors. Oh, yeah. Instead of a MIDI plug. And they didn't communicate using MIDI. So I hypothesize they used the headphone jack because they didn't want people to think it was MIDI. You know what, you know what I think? Of course, I haven't tried it. I think it, was, I think it was because, believe it or not, I thought they, I think they used just old, good old-fashioned 
um, audio uh, uh, modem type stuff. I looked into. I looked it, into it this evening. What is it? Um, it uses SciSex messages, so okay, it is, yeah. so it is actually sending MIDI data, but it is not a standard MIDI implementation in any way. And some guys actually wrote some guys and gals um, from freestompboxes.org wrote a wrote a Arduino software that could convert MIDI and could, could convert MIDI beat clock over to um, jam sync. And I think they could go the other way too. Um, but what they had to do was reverse engineer it because there's no engineering documents on, on jam sync. It was totally proprietary no. technology they came up with. And it's what still going to be ones and zeros. So just kind of listening. Cause I, cause I, I know enough about programming that I could probably actually go compile this and, and use this product. But I was, but I was looking at it. And I'm like, reading through the documentation, these chatter between the people that were actually developing it, working on it together. And I was kind of like, it, it was like, it was like, um, low tech. Um, what's the software everybody uses yeah, to, but- uh, to do all their software projects. I can't even remember the uh, GitHub. Um, oh, it's yeah, kind of like low, GitHub. low tech GitHub, but, but the conversation was basically like they use SciSex transmissions and they sort of tried to hide oh, but- them. They sort of tried to hide them. Um, they used, I think they communicated over the shield of the, the TRS or something like that. It was like pin five or something. It was some weird, weird implementation, which was non-standard. So, so actually people were having problems picking up on the, the communication language because they couldn't find the pin out. They were actually listening on the, to the wrong pin. And then they finally, it was like, oh, okay, now I get it. And then what, what happened was as, as I'm following through this conversation, it became very clear that. They weren't even transmitting the data that MIDI would have used. They were using like the bare minimum of stuff to communicate between loopers. So it was basically loop on, loop off, like loop, loop end, loop start. And that was how they were syncing everything. Um, instead of like in the MIDI world where you would say, uh, tempo, here's the clock, beat, 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 beat. And then they would send over like a time signature information so that you're, so that you could go, uh, tick. Talk, 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 tick, talk, talk, talk. And and they're not doing that. Okay. They're doing some other erroneous version of that. Um, and it was almost like they stripped out information from it because it was like the programmers didn't want to send anything they didn't need. Well, I was gonna say they just sent the bare bones. And mm-hmm. that makes sense. Like I said, I it, because they're using an audio cable, it's highly likely they're just sending a literally sending I always uh, thought it old, was an analog sync. The old way of doing just no. like a tap tempo, you know, right thing. Like, like a, um, okay, so the first people that that the first real big hack was the Captain Crunch thing. Remember, and so what they did was they were stealing um, uh, long distance calls from the phone company. The way phone company initially um, uh, used their their uh, digital interface for that was through tones yeah so you could actually you could learn to whistle the tones necessary to make 40 phone calls that's right now they got better at it it was faster i mean obviously the bods and the modems and everything that got got, but to be honest with you with something like that because you don't need it to be that fast it doesn't need to be like that it just needs to have timing that is 
literally like this thing right in front of us here, okay? It would be it would amaze and shock most people to see how simplex simplistic the code for these used to be. It's it's certainly got bigger, but the old ASCII code wasn't that hard. You could memorize it in a minute. Um if you you know, if you little had a little logic and time. But my point is it doesn't have to go that fast. When I hit a K the old days, if I want a K to appear on the screen, you didn't care if it was one millisecond or forty milliseconds or hundred milliseconds. As long as it was there in amount of time that you could type away, and I've I used to have software where I typed so fast, yeah, I could it, see it lag. Wait, yeah, you would wait for it to like, and actually yeah. still have that happen now. Yeah, yeah, me too. Because depending on because the software itself doesn't care, it's the way that the I/O is is generated with it. Well, I could honestly see where they didn't want to deal with MIDI because they didn't want all that all that overhead. All they wanted was that. So here's the. I mean, so here's the interesting thing. Want. <laughs> I saw a video. Um, this is actually how I got into this and that why I was why I was reading up on it. A uh, streamer friend um, who who goes by the name of uh, he's uh, he's on Twitch. I'm actually going to look him up if I can while we're talking. Um, a streamer friend has a channel where. Let's see, make sure to mute the site before I do anything. Um, a pile of petals. That's the name yep. of this channel. Okay. Uh, did I actually freeze? No, I don't think I did. I think. All right, hang on one second. Let me um, let me re-enable my camera here. Turn off camera. Turn on camera. Okay. There you go. Uh, and it still does not appear to be working. Let me try one more thing. Ah, there we go. Uh, I have problems when I switch between things, so it's just <laughs> part of the part of the magic of the show. Um, <laughs> the magic it's it's the it's the part the magic part that gets flushed down the toilet. Um, so this guy's name is a pile of petals. Um, they host a YouTube channel, and one of the things they do is all this like crazy mad looping stuff they do with their guitar and literally a pile of pedals i mean it's just i i saw stuff in there and i'm like holy crap like i haven't seen one of those in years um but he's got that they have a pile of looper boxes in this video that he sent that they sent me where um they have a digitech jam man connected to a Digitech S-Drum, which was their beatbox, kind of like the Beat Buddy. And that's connected to an RC500. And I, and my initial thought, I saw this thing go, how did you connect those? Because if you run a headphone jack from one to the other, and then a headphone jack from one to the other, the bus doesn't communicate in the same way. And it doesn't. And they were having problems with it, and which is actually why they reached out to me, because they were like, well, you use the beat buddy in this. How does that work? So um, that's why I was like, wait a minute. Was the was Jamsync really just MIDI? Come to find out. No, it's not. It's not even it shouldn't be communicating at all. It shouldn't even work at all. So my guess is somebody at Boss baked in some sort of functionality that sort of picks up on what's going on over in uh, Sysex world from Jamsync 
maybe in an effort to make it backwards compatible, but like it isn't even, it's probably not even supposed to be in there. Okay. So basically what happens is it loops, 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 and then eventually it gets out of sync and then one of the loops doesn't fire in the RC500. Uh, and so it's like, it's like a weird thing. And, but they, but here's, here's my takeaway from this. So they're mad because they're like, well, but boss, I, this is the top end bo- boss looper that doesn't communicate with, with Digitech. Well, yeah, but Digitech's standard is proprietary. Like it's not a standard that anybody else in the industry adopted. All of the pedals that use Jamsync came from Digitech. So my attitude was kind of like, maybe it's time for you not to invest in Digitech products anymore since they basically have gone belly up as a result of their acquisition by Samsung. If you didn't know, Harman Audio bought Samsung. Or Harman Audio was bought by Samsung. Samsung basically shut down DoD. Um, and they are believed to be sort of tinkering on the shutdown of uh, Digitech, which has lasted quite a long time. I think as long as people continue to buy whammy pedals, they will still produce whammies. And I think that's basically what, say, it's, I think that's what it's down. Really the only thing that's alive right now, right? Yeah. Uh, I, I, you can still find some new old stock like S drums and stuff like that. Um, I think their cab emulator is still around. I think th- there's a couple of pedals you can still get. They're not, you know, the things you would think is like being the most uh, desirable products, but they're, but they're, you can still find stuff if you look. Um, so I, I, I don't know. Walled Gardens, this is a classic example though, right? So like if you invested and you had the S-Drum and the Digitech Trio and the Digitech Trio Plus and a couple of Jamman loopers of various types and suddenly like one of those pedals breaks because Digitech has gone belly up, you're on the negative side of a walled garden because now you're like, well, shit, I can't get that functionality back unless I go down this hack path of getting an Arduino and converting to MIDI. Now, if I recall correctly, I was told by somebody who worked at Harman at GearFest, well, worked at Digitech, right? Um, and I don't even know if they were a current employee, but that they were developing a MIDI converter for, for that Jamsync technology. There was an idea, they at least realized yeah, this is something we probably need to do because people want to be able to integrate with the wider world and that they could profit off of that. Okay, so let's just stop and think about that for a minute. We want to be open and we want to include these other wonderful products with a connection standard that has existed for 30 years. Um, but in order for us to make that happen, because by the way, MIDI was ratified in 1982 and it's been perfectly adequate for to do this for most of its life. Um in order for them to make to make their products MIDI compatible, um, they would have had to admit that they were trying to make a proprietary standard, a, a walled garden. And there was nothing that was being passed based on the conversation I was seeing in that group. There was nothing being passed in the data that was like better than MIDI. It was, and I, I would have accepted that. I would have said, you know what? If you're doing something better than MIDI, I get it. But they weren't. They were actually stripping out information that's useful like time signature information, which even the RC500 sort of stumbles in interpreting and most devices don't put out. Um, so just, you know, keep that in mind. If you get into one of these walled gardens, if the company goes belly up, just expect to just dump your stuff because you're not going to be able to get it to work if it's a proprietary connection standard unless you buy a bunch of old ones. Another classic example is um, 
digital design pro tools so jim you may not know this story because it's more of an engineer type thing but pro tools for years told people the only way you could run pro tools was with their interfaces that that the reason their interfaces existed was because you needed the, the kind of input connections and stuff that uh the the io for the pc that would yep. allow pro tools to communicate with your audio hardware okay so they made that. their own proprietary hardware do you remember what happened do you know do you know the real story about what happened no so i think it was like pro tools 10 or something and of course they were selling their prosumer ones at that point and they were also selling their pro line which was very expensive and some people basically got like m audio interfaces working with pro tools with minimal effort they were able to hack pro tools so they could run whatever audio interface they wanted and all of a sudden digital design went oh shit they figured it out which is that there was no real hardware integration with pro tools it was just something that they had created as a proprietary way to communicate with their hardware and so kept you locked into buying their hardware and their software yeah. um and it was like it was probably the biggest stain walled garden in the history of audio because it was like you mean people have been after Pro Tools all these years and it's been a scam? And it was a scam. That's what it was. And well, in, the, in the engineer world, that's how it came out too. It was like, holy crap, what a mistake. Well, you know, so here's the thing about the music industry and these things. In So I come from engineering in the navigation world. And in the world of navigation, we have a we have strings we call NEMA, right? NMEA, okay. And and this will come back to what we're doing. We're talking about. So if if I sell a GPS to a boat, whether it's Bob's rowboat or a battleship, yeah, or the U.S. Navy, right? Right. It's going to have NEMA strings. What NEMA strings is dependent on the the builder and how much they want to include in it because Bob's rowboat doesn't need what the USS George Washington needs. But those strings are there. All right. So um, even within, uh, and so the governing force of that, anybody that owns a modem or anything else knows that governing um, branch that says this is what's included in NEMA is ISO. Right. So the international something standards, standards organization. organization standards organization. Thank you. And so the ISO talks about a lot of things. They talk about form factors because they we, talk we about need, manufacturing processes, like how many how many stations you're gonna you're gonna park it at in your business. I've worked for people right. that have used ISO standards, right. and it gets crazy. Yeah, and ISO standards can be really loose or and really can be tight. Really, really tight. <laughs> Depending on where you are, what you're what you're dealing will, with, and so on. And so this forth. will be laser telemetry measured, and it will take less yeah. than an hour. You know, it's like yeah. <laughs> and so, getting to that, you know, they even they, even your your uh, uh, plug that you were talking about for your um, uh, your uh, line six yeah. stop earlier that that meets an ISO standard. Correct in there. And it actually and, interesting to note you actually can't use the one spot on this. There's something I was forgetting. 
which is the the plug sizes are actually slightly different. Different. So they yeah, made their plug proprietary. That's right. And within that's what I was about to say. So within a lot of ISO standards, they're proprietary things. The problem with this software that 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 music industry is using and, and the pedals included, they don't have to meet these standards. There's no standard. So the truth of the matter is they didn't do anything. It's up illegal. to us as consumers to right. enforce these standards, which we didn't. Well, right. Um when but when you think about it, they were kind of they weren't first. I'm not gonna say that that uh, Pro Tools was first, but they were first to a large, wider audience. They were definitely, I would say, I would put it this way. They were the ones to market themselves in a way that made people want to use their product. And this right. even, this this is actually, so like, I know you'll hear things like, oh, well, they were using Sound City and stuff. Forget those kinds of stories because they didn't really pick up traction until the late right. 90s when it was actually right. being used to record everything. Right, where Pro Tools was what, 94? Yeah, Pro Tools came out in like 89. Yeah. Um, it was, and, and they had a, yeah. a lot of traction by the mid-90s. I think so, I think Steinberg Cubase, for, for reference, came out in like the late 70s. The first version was for like the Commodore, okay? Um, yeah. yeah, so th that's that's the difference in, in time frame. And um, so what I was getting at is a lot of people didn't push it because... It was kind of almost walled in the expense of the of the device. Think about it. The, the PCs, sure. even till relatively recently, PCs weren't the way to go. Um, it was Mac, expensive. Uh, it was always these high interface, uh, high cost interface devices. Nobody was pushing them to say, "Hey, you know what? We could do this better." Because they were just happy to have them. Truth of the matter is, they were just happy to have them, and so. It's kind of like that. It's kind of like a, you know, I hate to say it, it was like a, a pet rock. I mean, it was something that people were willing to spend a lot of money on and not really willing to look into deeply. You know, it was kind of, it's kind of funny that you mentioned that because, like, a lot, there was a lot of criticism going around in those early days where people were going into studios because they had Pro Tools. And then the guys that were like, yeah, I can use Pro Tools, but it'll be cheaper if we do it on magnetic tape. You know, because yeah. it's like, we don't really want to do that. Like, why would you want to do that? You know, like um, that kind of thing. Yeah. And as time went on, um, time became money. Right. And, <laughs> you know? and, the, and, and the hardware became easier to use and it was better for doing those kinds of jobs. Right. Like, there were definitely things that you could do digitally at that time that you could only do digitally. And so you might do that work in Pro Tools, but the vast majority of recording would be done in synchronized tape. Okay. Yep. Um, and ADAT, which... Well, ADAT was a digital room. standard. So ADAT right. was... They liked ADAT because you could dump it down and then mix it in Pro Tools. That was yep. why that became popular. Um, so, all right. All, all sides. So ADAT itself is also a walled garden standard. It started off as for, for uh, oh, yeah. Alesis. It was originally Alesis ADAT. And once yeah. they realized there was a lot of people wanting this connection standard, they started licensing it because they were like, we can make money on this. But right. it was just interesting that Pro Tools went that route and tried to remain proprietary. Even though yeah. people knew, they knew that there were all these other applications out there and people were using these other applications to track records. And they knew they were going to get caught and they still tried to do it. Now, the funny thing is what the aftermath of a walled garden, because they were exposed in the early 2000s 
Um, the aftermath of the walled garden stuff is wild. So if you well, want to go get a Studio 192 Pro Tools interface, which was like, I think they retailed at like $4,000 when they came out, 300 bucks. You can buy one for 300 bucks. And then you can run Pro Tools in your studio and record just like bands like Korn did in the early 2000s, which is really wild because I've seen people actually doing that, buying old Macs, buying Pro Tools rigs from like the 90s that were used in studios like, you know, um, basically any studio that was doing anything at that time had one. And then these things are available in droves. You can buy them for 300 bucks. If one fails, you literally rip it out and put another one in. It's that crazy. Um, and I'm sure there are amateur studios that are recording people right now for money using that equipment that was probably used to track hit records in some studio in Nashville, you know, back then, which is wild. It's just mind boggling to me, but that's because the walled garden failed. Right. Well, all I'm saying is until, until people have something better, they're not really willing to push that company to do something different. I think about Apple Apple in the beginning. If we're talking talking specifically about Jamsync and Digitech, I would say that they actually did get pushed, which is why Samsung acquired them, which is why they couldn't build a hit pedal for a long time. Do you remember the Hardwire series? Do you remember, you know, like when they started to try and pull themselves out of the muck and the mire and they started coming out with things like the Ventura vibe and that kind of stuff? It was too little too late. And they were still building some of their most popular pedals were like Jam Man. But the second you wanted to do anything with Jam Man to communicate with anything outside of Digitex hardware, you were up shit creek without a paddle. That's why Boss continued to sell loopers till they were blue in the face because everything was MIDI sync. Even the RC5 now, the little bitty guy is MIDI sync capable. Like that's just crazy to me that they missed that opportunity that bad. Yeah. I mean, well, it's funny that the things that are left, I mean, other than the whammy pedal, which is just, if they it ever has, crash. It has MIDI implementation on it. The whammy does. Um, the trio and the S-drum are really, I mean, you know, you have the ricochet and the drop. but Right, but those are whammy For the products. most part, right. But those are, that's exactly what I was going to say. But those are whammy products. They're just whammies with less whammy yeah <laughs> um without a treadle of the control of the whammy. right the treadle and uh but the the fact is that really that's kind of what they have left there's a mosaic and a um, freak out but i mean like you said you kind of want midi you want implementation you can use like you said across board that was that was where in the beginning apple failed hard yeah they Could almost buy lost, anything. the company almost collapsed um and people have blamed john scully for it but the reality was it was just a bad company mindset of yeah. incompatibility not allowing other people to license their software like apple wouldn't be a hardware company right now if they wanted to be successful in 1988 they would have they would have licensed their software on compatible so- systems and not sued the living shit out of them instead, and, yep. which is what they actually did. Um, so did. Th- that's why Mac OS X only runs on Mac OS X or on, on Mac hardware, Mac, Apple hardware. Yep, that's why because they decided we're not taking the compatibility track. 
Now, you know as well as I do, that's not true. You can do Hackintoshes. But that's, that's not right. nearly as scandalous as what happened with digi with DigiDesign and Pro Tools. But that's, you know, that it is what it is. Are we ready to move on? Oh, yeah. All right. Let me switch our, our LED around here. I got to hit the foot switch. We are on segment five, four, four. Let's talk about Esteban. So to conclude our, <laughs> our uh, discussions about cheap guitars for a while, um, <laughs> I thought it would be interesting to go back to the beginning with one of the most infamous cheap guitar moments in history. Um, if you're not familiar with Esteban, you probably didn't play guitar in the 2000s. Okay. Um, he was a guy that became very famous via uh, QVC and HSN for show home shopping network for those either not, uh, not savvy. Uh, for selling his a guitar that bore his name, the Esteban. Now, I say his name with a faux uh, south of the border accent, uh, border here in the States, or maybe even Spanish um, accent, because Esteban was actually known as Stephen Paul. Okay. And uh, it's an interesting story. So he promotes this guitar with these infomercials. And you can find them on YouTube. I encourage you to go and look them up on YouTube. They're hysterical. Where he's like playing all this crazy flamenco-y style stuff, which is like faux flamenco. It's not even real stuff. Like it, it's kind of like half-assed flamenco. Um, where, you know, it looks amazing. It looks challenging. But then he talks. And then when he talks about the guitar, he's like, well, you know, what kinds of music is this guitar suitable for? All kinds of music. You can play rock on it. You can play classical on it. You can play country on it. You can play. And it's like, wait a minute. You're playing classical style with fingernails and all, but this thing's a steel string guitar. Like, what the hell? And as you start, like, thinking about it more and more as a guitar player, you realize this thing is a piece of shit. What did they retail for? Like, $129. Oh. It was like, it was I like. And at some point, they were selling an amp with it, too. It's, a, it's yep. an acoustic guitar. Okay. And everybody knew this thing was a piece of shit. And from people I know who received them as gifts or whatever, they were pieces of shit. They were like really bad guitars. Um, yep. But I do know people that like liked Esteban, that liked to watch Esteban because they're like, oh, man, he's so good or whatever. It's like. He's a charlatan. What are you talking about? And so I wanted to kind of read through his Wikipedia for the show. And then I wanted to uh, I wanted to briefly talk about like just just this whole story because it's so good and and other people have done videos on it um actually who is the other uh youtuber um six string samurai six string samurai did did a video on this yeah and, samurai though no, samurai guitars samurai guitars six string samurai is a movie samurai guitars did a video on this and actually i saw it the other day and i thought it's funny but i saw it because i was actually asked about esteban from somebody else and then went and youtubed it to find videos about esteban so it was like yeah. a whole other thing all right. I, my throat's really dry, but I'm going to try to get through this. Biography. Stephen Paul was, uh, was the oldest of four children. He recounts that he began playing guitar at the age of eight when his uncle brought him a nylon string guitar. He attended South Hills Catholic High School, uh, since absorbed into Sultan LaSalle Catholic High School in Mount Lebanon, and then attended Carnegie Mellon University, where he double majored in music and English. At this time, 
He was teaching approximately 150 students a week and playing in nightclubs. 150 students a week. Jim, do the math. How yeah. long do you think those lessons were? I don't know. 10 minutes? That would be 150 I mean, hours a week. How many hours a week well, do you work full time? He probably, <laughs> yeah. He probably had several students in each class. In other words, yeah. he wasn't teaching individuals. Right. Which means that I, I'm not going to get into that. Not even gonna like a classroom that. thing, like 20, 30 people at a time. Right, right. So Esteban states that at this point in his, uh, in his studies of guitar, he thought, now remember, this is in Esteban's words. Most of, most of this Wikipedia article comes from things that Esteban has said. Um, he felt a strong desire to study with Andre Segovia. Uh, now, if you yeah. don't know who Andre Segovia is, that's fine. Uh, go look him up on YouTube. He is a legit like classical guitar ninja um, who passed, I think, in my lifetime. Um, but who was, who is considered to be one of the greatest classical guitar players who ever lived. Okay. Um, and according to Esteban, after a long period where he pursued Segovia by spending, by sending notes to the hotels where he was staying, finally met, met Segovia in Los Angeles in 1972 and studied with him intermittently for the next five years, splitting his time between Spain and California. Now here's where it gets interesting. That's what he, Segovia said, or that's not what Segovia said. This was Esteban said. The extent of the connection between Segovia and Esteban, however, is heavily disputed. <laughs> um, although Esteban did meet Segovia, Esteban is not mentioned in any biography of Segovia, and Esteban never received public acknowledgement, uh, received the public acknowledgement Segovia gave his other students, such as John Williams and Elliot Fisk, who are also notable classical guitar players. Also might want to YouTube those guys. They're great, too. Um Segovia autographed one of his books for Esteban in 1978 with a flattering message, but Segovia is not known to have signed hundreds or is, is known to have signed hundreds of thousands of such messages. So it wasn't unique. All right. Which means that maybe Esteban got a few choice lessons with Segovia and then like Segovia broke it off or whatever, or, for, you know, it didn't, it wasn't a continuing relationship. That's probably realistically what happened here. They might have actually played guitar a couple times together, but it may not have gone beyond some, you know, basic lessons or something like some sort of basic instruction. Um, so in the 70s, things changed. And he said Esteban moved from Southern California to Phoenix with his wife and daughter, Teresa Paul, in 1978. During the next two years, he toured playing classical music. Okay. In 1980, while driving his mother home from the airport, Esteban was involved in a collision with a drunk driver. He was left with broken ribs, missing teeth, a light sensitive eye, um, but recovered. Uh, he recovered, but was left with nerve damage in his hands. Okay. Unable to play the guitar, he sold solar energy systems for Reynolds Aluminum. This is where you can start to ask questions. All right. So he couldn't play guitar because he had this nerve damage thing. And then he goes and sells aluminum. Do you think that might have had something to do with him being able to sell shitty guitars on HSN? I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> it seems like it seems like that's where we're headed here. So then he said during his long recovery, he decided to move away from playing only classical music. So he started to like slowly recover and play. And he began to uh, recover some of his use of his fingers in 1988. 
And he had begun playing again by the end of 1989. So he had like a period of like eight years where he was barely able to play the guitar. All right. So commercial success. And, and I think this is interesting because apparently he did have some mild commercial success before the infomercial era. Esteban had been playing at a Hyatt Regency Hotel where he, when he released his first album in 1991. He hired a keyboardist in 92 and, was subse- and uh, has subsequently added a five-piece band, including drummer Joe Morris. Audiences responded well to Esteban's charisma and frequently bought his albums. Does that sound accurate? Because he was playing at the Hyatt Regency, like all these people were suddenly aware of Esteban. Now remember, this is pre-internet, okay? That <laughs> just seems like kind of, nah, I think this might be BS. Um, so in 1999, Esteban came to the attention of Joe Joy Mangano at uh, Ingenious Designs, inventor of the Miracle Mop and the other household uh, accessories sold on QVC. She recognized Esteban's charisma, and he was invited to play on QVC in November of 1989. Um, Soon after, Ingenious Designs was bought out by Home Shopping Network, and Esteban achieved commercial success. He sold 132,000 CDs after two appearances on Home Shopping Network in the summer of 2000. Okay, and if if you guys don't remember this, there was a time period when HSN would do, they would have like these weird music artists that would come and they would peddle their albums on hsn and normally if you did it you're gonna get some sales you might get twenty thousand records sold you know he got one hundred and thirty-two thousand. okay um over a couple of appearances um two of his albums actually reached the top 54 entries in the billboard 200 um and esteban quit playing at the hyatt in 2000 so all the while he's been playing from 1991 to 2000 at the hyatt regency hotel Okay, but he's been so successful. He's been playing at the Hyatt Regency since 1991 to 2000. I mean, this is just, I can't make this up, guys. This is why we're reading the the Wikipedia article. I honestly, like, I read this and I went, wait a minute, I'm putting these numbers together in my head and going, what? And then, of course, he's reached the Billboard 200 and he's playing at the Hyatt Regency. Something here is wrong, okay? Um... Esteban quit playing at the Hyatt in 2000. He has since been featured in the Wall Street Journal and People magazine. From 2001 to 2003, Esteban released over a dozen additional albums, four of which placed in the lower half of the Billboard 200. He has been featured in various infomercials, advertising his guitars and instructional DVDs. Notice that there is no time frame given for the instructional and shitty guitar. Okay. Um, and then, of course, then it says he landed his first major CD distribution deal with Sony Red uh, th- with the release of The Best of Esteban in October of 2006. Um, just looking at his his uh, discography, there's nothing post-2006 in this list. Um, so he is considered flamenco, which is interesting because Andre Segovia is classical. All right. Um, John Williams is classical. Elliot Fisk is classical. He is considered flamenco, but I actually think he's just kind of like emulating flamenco. I don't think he actually knows things like the resquado and all that stuff. I think he, uh, I don't think he places enough emphasis on rhythm to play with actual flamenco players who would probably rip him to filth for not being on time. 
because that's that would be their their big criticism of anyone. Um, in fact, it said in flamenco, it doesn't matter what notes you play. It's whether you play them on time <laughs> because it's a dance uh, that goes with it. So, um, all right, D Jim, you remember Esteban, right? So you can find live performances of Esteban on YouTube. Uh, they're hilarious um, because it's always like super over dramatic. And if you just pull up a picture of him, I might flash one up if I can remember to when I edit this. Um, if you pull up a picture of this guy, like he's just a wild dude. I don't know how this guy's story happened. I suspect that there's some half truths in his Wikipedia article. This guy is not a student of Andre Segovia. Like I'm gonna be, I'm just gonna be real blunt, honest with you. He doesn't play anything like Andre Segovia. Um, I don't know what he plays like. I don't really see him descending from anybody other than like a very unique style unto himself. But he was charisma, and he was able to sell these shitty guitars, which, by the way, are not what he plays. They're not even remotely like what he plays. Um, because he plays nylon strings, I believe. And the guitar he was selling on QVC was a steel stringed, it's a steel string turd is what it was. Um, let's see if I can get one up for reference. I remember them being black with like a white pick guard, but I don't think they actually all had pick guards. I think people installed pick guards on them and stuff. Um, and I know there are video demos of this thing. There've got to be. Um, Esteban American Legacy. Is this an actual thing for sale on eBay right now? 179 bucks. So apparently you can still get these. Uh, it wasn't electric, acoustic electric. It was a steel string with a shitty looking rosette binding. Um, the neck was probably warped when you got it. The head still looks, looks like a joke. Um, I'm looking to see if they have like a close-up shot of a headstock. Oh, I mean, so the uh, the the electronic system was called the Opus 3. And it was basically just a bass, middle, treble, and volume control uh, with a battery door all integrated into one piece. Um, they did have a center binding piece down the back. Uh, it had his ridiculous looking signature on the headstock. And it the headstock is literally a paddle. It's an actual paddle. Um, like just a solid block of wood. Uh, then, I mean, everything else looks like a typical, like cheapy acoustic. The, uh, the case it came with is basically a gig bag. Um, it's, I mean, it's like a, I would consider like a premium gig bag, like a, like a, um, like a foam one that was like, you know, form fitted for the guitar, but, um, it looks like there might actually be additional models which is really interesting to me because I don't remember there being maybe these are people have bought the his guitars over the year and then like customized them or done things to them because I'm seeing some that have like roses and stuff on them. I'm seeing some that have like stickers and stuff on them. Um, like here's the Esteban Duende. But this is and this is a Duende electric acoustic guitar jewelry in a pawn shop somewhere. Um, I gotta be honest. You know who he reminds me of? Who? He reminds me of uh, who's that actor? That uh, goofy hat that plays, man. that plays guitar, but he's also uh, um, he he uh, 
says he knows karate and jujitsu and he's a cop and yeah you're talking um, about uh um the glimmer man his name? you're talking about uh yeah. steven seagal the glimmer man steven seagal. Probably a little he looks kind of like but he's got looking at looking at some pictures now there's a guy that comes to this karaoke place looks exactly like him and he i don't know this is this is where Jim, a Jim, Jim, Jim. it could actually be esteban i mean this guy plays the hyatt regency for like 10 years could be. Now he's at Plaza Azteca in, in Chesapeake. But anyway, it's a possibility. So, yeah. It, but what I'm what I'm about to say is kind of funny because he comes in every week and he can't sing. I mean, he can't sing. This poor guy. Horrible. I mean, he's not bad. He's terrible. And I I have this kind of a you know one week once a week thing. I hang out with my friends. We go there and we kind of laugh and do a couple songs. But it's hilarious because. We're, we're sitting there. We're watching this guy. And he gets up there, and he and his face. If I took your picture of the guy I'm talking about, and you saw Esteban, you painted glasses on this guy's face, be same exact same face, and he has no idea how bad he is. Now I'm not saying Esteban is bad. I'm just saying that that there's a charisma about him, though. And every time he gets up there, the girls are all, "Oh my God." He's horrible. He's not bad. He's terrible. And he does uh, he does um, these horrendous renditions of like uh, Hallelujah. I don't, he wouldn't know a major lift if if you stuffed it down his face. I mean, so you know, and, and it's like I get just I get what you're getting at. Like this, the charisma thing that people are into. I think um, that's what it is. Because I was watching a video of his doing Scarborough Fair. Yeah. And while you were talking, I had it done. It wasn't difficult at all. It was very simple stuff. And, but picking pattern they is something see this that. Thing, they see this thing going on and they're like, oh my God, I've never seen anything like it. Right. You know? And, and, and it is hard at first to try to get that thumb and thumb and finger and thumb and finger and moving the thumb but not the fingers and and, so, and once you get it though those things that he's doing is not really are not I got a better really idea hard. if you're gonna watch Esteban just go watch Mark Knopfler instead or yeah you know somebody in that vein um anyway yeah he's not a bad guy I'm not like trying to poo poo his style or whatever I no, just think no, it's like either. the reason he's famous is because he sold crap guitars. And there's a whole right. Wikipedia article devoted to this dude that does not mention that he sold crap guitars. Like, that's right. what's hysterical to me. Is it's like they want to make out like he had this great career playing at the Hyatt Regency for 10 years. Like, what? Um, right. I, and, and I'd love to see the Billboard charts where he placed at 50. I'd love to see it. Because nobody knew who Esteban was when he showed up on QVC. I, um, I can imagine that he he showed up on the Billboard charts after the the QVC fame because there are people that are oh sure after right curious A absolutely about after right um, hearing his stuff but so I but, can see that happen you know Sony had such a lucrative deal with him didn't they uh, anyway all right he must have sold tens of records all right it's time for the gig report. <laughs> <laughs> the LED's on. Kick report time. Um, <laughs> I'll start. Um, so I had two playing engagements, which were an open jam and 
an open mic. Um, the open jam was fun. I went, I got to play with somebody who had a lot of energy. We kind of bounced off each other really good. We actually had a guitar duel on stage, which is great. And I got to play three tunes, which were like supercharged. And then I got to play with another gentleman that I played with there before. Um, and it was a good, it was a good, good experience. I was really happy with how I played, got off stage. I went back to my seat. I had taken up a giant table over on the side of the room on the right side of the stage where nobody usually goes. And guess what? Like 10 drunk people showed up and there were four, four chairs and they were all standing right behind me, right in my space. So I basically sat there for a few minutes. Uh, a gentleman came up to me, actually offered me um, an audition. And so I'm going to be doing that next week. Um, but he came up and he talked to me. He's like, are you a band? And I'm like, no. And he's like, do you want to be? And I'm like, yes. And that was basically how that interaction went. So, um, we've had some good conversations since then, but he handed me his business card. But anyway, right after he walked away, these people kept bumping up against me. Now it's COVID season and nobody's got a mask on. And I picked that side of the place because it's usually pretty empty. Um, so I'm like, what the fuck? Like, and this, this girl, foulest mouth talking about the dirtiest things that she wanted to do to this other guitar player who was on stage there. And I'm like, I can't, I, I can't sit here through this shit anymore. So I pick up my guitar. I actually put everything back in my bag. I pick up my guitar. I leave my amp on stage. Um, and I go to the back of the club and it's actually like really calm. There's nobody up there. It's really cool. I'm like, you know what? I'd rather just sit back here anyway. I can hear the music better. My ears aren't getting destroyed, even with plugs in, um, up front, like they're, it's still pretty loud. Um, I'm like, I can just chill and I can eat my food. So I ordered food. It's the first time I've eaten in front of people in like months. And I ate in a restaurant while I'm sitting there and I'm watching and I see somebody come into the club that I know and they always use my gear. And I'm like, oh, God damn it. Because he's not respectful. Like he doesn't know how to use things. And it's like one time he couldn't get sound out of my amp and it's because he plugged into the foot switch jack. And I'm like, oh, I just get I get like these horror moments. Well, he's standing over the bar and I'm like, oh, he's going to get cold up. My food came in, I'm sitting there eating, I'm watching this, see the guy. And then the next band comes up and it's a friend of mine on two Alex's, Alex one, Alex two, uh, two is someone I have never met before. He comes on stage. He's looking around. He's looking around. I'm like, oh shit. He's going to use my amp. Now I'm in the back of the club. So I'm like, he's not going to ask. He doesn't know where I am. I see Alex one who knows me and has used my stuff before who motions that he's back there and I kind of gave him the nod, like, go ahead. But I was like, they can't see me. I'm like, whatever. Alex will help me get straightened out. Anyway, so I see him plug his Ernie Ball cable in. And then something happens. This is a moment that will live in infamy. I see. All right. I, I, we don't call these tall boys because a tall boy is just a regular beer bottle. But I call them tall boys. It's like the, the drink thing you get at in Vegas. It's like this tall, you know, I see that sitting on my fucking amp. My $2,000 custom Tolex Mesa Boogie Fillmore. I am out of my chair with the guitar on my back at the side of the stage within probably 30 seconds. And I am screaming at this guy to get his fucking beer off my amp.
And he looks at me and rather than comply, he says, do we have beef? And I said, if you don't get your goddamn beer off my amp, we will. Okay, so he says, "Okay." turns around, picks up the beer, puts it right in front of my amp. I, at this point, am like, you know what? I'm not even going to make a big deal out of it. I'm just going to turn around and walk away right now because he took it off my amp. That's the best I can expect in this situation. So I walk away. I go back to the back of the bar. I am fucking livid. I get stopped by two gentlemen on the way back to my seat. The first one wants to comment on my beautiful PRS, how it looks better than his 1986 uh, number 721 PRS, okay, built built in Paul's garage. And I'm so livid. I'm like, that's great. That's wonderful. Get the fuck out of my way. Um, and, and it's not the way I actually like did that, but I was like, yeah, that's freaking great. So I just turned and walked away. And then I walked back to the back and somebody else comes up to me and says, hey, man, do you have a band? And he gets real in my face. He's close talking. He's like this, like like this far away from me. And I'm like, dude, it's COVID. And I, I, I kind of just did this with my elbow and like pushed him away. And I was like, look, I'm, I'm just like, I, I'm not really interested in what you're doing right now. Like, I actually like what you're doing. But I really have to pursue my own thing. And quite and quite frankly, right now, um, I can't juggle any more projects. So I would be a disservice to you if I was to take this on. That, what he offered me, I was like, yeah, I could absolutely do that. You know, it would be a no brainer and super easy for me to do. Um, just a classic rock band thing. So I get back to my seat. I sit down and I'm still livid. My, my fists are clenched. Oh, by the way, I did this with my food in my hand. I, I went up to the stage with my takeout box in my hand and I'm screaming at this guy. So now I'm sitting down, I open up my thing. I finish my quesadilla and yeah, I'm having a quesadilla, get a little thing of water. The next band plays. I, I see the other guitar player, like he can't figure out how to get my amp off clean. And at this point, I'm just kind of like, I'm just, I'm so livid. And I don't know whether this guy's going to try to fight me afterwards or what, but like, dude, that was totally disrespectful. If you're listening to this show, if somebody has clued you in that I have a guitar podcast and you're listening, I, I want you to know right now, I have no beef with you, but you need to fucking show respect to other people's gear. I don't care if it's the house gear. I don't care whether it's your buddy's gear. You don't put a beer on it. Okay, it's real simple. You don't do that. That, that, that you are asking to get punched in the goddamn face. And I, I'm sorry, but you might have been taller than me. I have 200 pounds on your ass and I will destroy you. Okay. So don't, don't pick fights with people you don't understand. Not to mention that half the people in that club probably would have had my back because you're an asshole. Um, so long story short, um, I go back, I'm, I'm in the back of the club and I'm thinking we'll be over. I'm looking at my watch. I'm like, we'll be over in like an hour. So there's probably like two more band, two more sets left. And then I can get out of here because my gear's stuck on stage. I can't get it off. So I'm just sitting in the back. I'm eating whatever. I'm having a drink. And then all of a sudden, I hear the next band get called up. And my name gets called. So now I have to go up and get on the stage with this guy. So I climb up there. And the dude's standing there. And he's like, uh, I, I actually was sort of apologetic. I was like, look, I was like, I, brought, I probably caught you off guard. 
I don't really want to make a big deal out of this. I was like, dude, but that 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 amp is like really expensive. And and I said, it doesn't matter whether it's expensive or not. It shouldn't. But I'm like, you have to understand why I reacted the way I did. And I said, you didn't ask. You know, you didn't have permission to use it to begin with. And that and then you did that. It's like two strikes. He's like, well, I reacted the way I did because I just got done shaking somebody's hand. I want to be like, so your your natural reaction when you're shaking somebody's hand is the next person that's that's calling out to you because you've done something stupid is to react poorly. Okay. Instead of trying to figure out what the problem is and being apologetic, you're an asshole. Okay. So um he he says, no, he's like, it's not a big deal. He's like, we're cool. And I and I, I said, all right, good. I was like, you know, if you want to use my stuff, like you just need to ask next time. It's not a big deal. And so he he gets off stage and he goes and he sits somewhere in the bar. Um, and I know because I'm watching him the rest of the night. Now, in the middle of this, so I've been in the back having a panic attack because I don't really want to get arrested that night. And I know if I get in a fight with this guy, that's what's going to happen. Um, and it's not going to end well for me because I'm probably going to jail and I'm probably going to go to jail for a while because <laughs> I'm going to beat this guy's head into the pavement. Um, I'm just in that sort of mood. And so... I'm, I'm like freaking out that I have to play. I'm literally dropping shit out of my bag on stage. I brought my bag with me on stage. This is how like not functioning in the head I am at that moment. And I dropped my foot switch on the floor and I like, thank God I didn't have a pedal board that night. Cause I never would have gotten it hooked up. Um, and I, I get squared away and I mean, Alex are kind of kind of going back and forth like hey it's really cool you get to actually see me play tonight because like we are always there together but he's never seen me play because he comes in after i i do um so he sort of knows that like for i guess from reputation other people have said like oh yeah this guy's really good um say people saying this about me which i'm trying to accept my compliments better so i don't know if that's true or not but whatever people say that so that's the thing they say um i'm on stage with Alex, the good Alex, bad Alex is in the audience. We play six tunes. I would say four, we sort of knew. <laughs> okay, two, we did not. The funny point, Jim, you're going to laugh. Guy gets up out of the audience and says, I want to sing Simple Man. So Alex looks at me and goes, do you know it? And I said, do you know it? And the guy goes, it's ACG. And I go, I used to play this song all the time. I see a C A G. He goes, I used to play. I, I was like, I used to play this song all the time. And he's like, oh, yeah. How long ago is that? And I was like, when I lived in my parents, he's like, how long ago is that? I said, 10 years ago. <laughs> so I haven't played this song in 10 years, probably. And we're like, ACG, I, I strum the chords. I'm like, yeah, it sounds right. And then and then he, the, the singer goes, there's like a guitar intro part. And. Okay, in retrospect, there's not a guitar intro on that song. But um, Alex just kind of muddles through this thing that sort of sounds like the big riff, you know? Um, and then we go for it. And it's so, so funny because um, I think we played like a verse and a verse in one chorus, and then all of a sudden it was like a light bulb went off. And I was like, oh yeah, I remember how to play this. And it was like I had all the arpeggios down and the uh that you know the finger picking, and then the big main riff, and I was rolling up my volume knob, getting all this searing distortion out the audience and then faking the little lead stuff like um clever enough that i think people like actually probably thought i was playing the real part and um it was just so it was so fun 
But I'm the whole time I'm doing this, I've never taken my guy, eyes off the guy in the audience. I found him. I knew where he was sitting and I watched him and he was watching me. And I'm sitting there going, is, are we going to have problems after this? And one of, uh, one of the guys I've made friends with there, he's told me in the 70s, he was a bare knuckle boxing fighter and made quite a bit of money doing it in illegal boxing. And he's chilling out by the side of the stage. So I'm like, what is this all about? Like he's and he, and he he likes my playing. So I don't know whether he's hanging out for me or if he's hanging out for somebody else. There's plenty of good players in this place. So um, we get done and I'm like, I got to get my shit out of here fast because I really don't want to deal with this guy. I'm hoping he's not here staying here to like pick a fight or something. But I, I pack my shit up as quickly as I can. Um, I'm literally carrying other people's stuff off the stage so they can get it off the stage so I can get out of there. Um. And of course, I'm super respectful doing that, right? Like I'm not, you know, stand, uh, putting it in a pool of water or anything dumb. Um, and I get my amp all bagged up and I get the hell out of there. On the way out, I run into Billy, um, who is the, the bare knuckle boxing guy. And uh, he says, what the f was that guy's problem? And I said, I said, he put a beer on my amp. He said, he did what? And I said, he put his beer on my amp. He's like, you're kidding. And I'm like, nope. Um, he's like, wow, what the, like, what is wrong with him? And um, that was that. I didn't run into him in the parking lot. Guy wasn't looking for me, thank God. Um, he, I didn't, didn't care. really want to. Beer, I mean, was, beer was the reason he put beer on your amp. And it, and it was literally a non-issue. Do you know what my biggest fear was? That I would get into with this guy while I had my PRS on my back. Because because I will fight you with a PRS on my back. <laughs> you know, and like I PRS be damned. Um, and I'll put the I'll put the Fillmore down, but then I'm going to kick your ass. <laughs> like that's what's going to happen. Um, so I get I get all my stuff in the car and I'm like sitting there and I just exhale for a minute. It's the first time I've had any relief all night. I'm like. All right, he gets to drive home now, and uh, I I left, and that was that was it. That was that that was that whole thing. It was like one of the most stupid escapades. Um, and I'm gonna talk to the host about it and be like, "Hey, look, uh, we're not gonna be allowing people to use my gear there anymore, because I'm just I can't handle it, dude. Next person that puts a beer on my amp is gonna get fucking punched in the face." That's what's going to happen. Because, like, seriously, that's just, it's like, I, it's Tolex. Like, you don't put stuff on other people's stuff in general, but if it's sweaty, if it has water on it, it can damage something. And that's why I'm like, dude, what the hell? Because um, he, he treats his own shit like that. But I think I actually, so he doesn't... I think I actually solved my own problem. Because I can take yeah. this, plug a cable into the snake, Get it going real fast. And then when I'm off stage, unplug the snake and get the fuck out of Dodge. And I can take this yeah. with me. And I don't have to worry about whether somebody else is going to want to use my amp. You can come up to me and you can ask me if you want to use my stomp. And I can tell you no. Because I don't like the cut of your jib. Like, I, All right. That's that. That's the, We'll put a pin on that. I do want to talk a little bit about what happened last night, Jim. You don't know this story yet. So this will be interesting for you. I went to um, I went to an open mic I haven't been to since like 2019. 
and uh, it's a local open mic. And the, the host over there is real friendly. And I've and I've actually given some gear advice and stuff on Facebook. And like we we've talked a couple times since pandemic started. And like I really wanted to go back. I had fond memories of playing there. There's actually live footage of me on YouTube playing there. And um, I was like, oh, okay, so I'll get to go back. Right. Um, so I went Saturday night. I walked in. I was there. They're, they're supposed to start signing up at 630. The club was completely full at 645. And by completely full, I mean, there wasn't an empty table. Okay. So I didn't have a place to sit. I walk in. And I literally stand next to this table with no chairs in the corner um, where I couldn't fit because I'm too fat to sit in the place where you would put a stool. And I lean my guitar up and I look around the room some more. And I know some of the people that are there. Many of them are, well, not many of them, all of them. And I stress all are unmasked. I spot maybe two drinks out of 40 people. I'm sorry, but if you're not drinking, put your mask on, especially if you're in an enclosed space. This was not a big room. Okay. Um, and I see the host. He's off in the corner. I don't actually realize he sees me. Uh, we'll get to that in a second. So I look around and I'm like, do I stay here? And I'm kind of texting my wife back and forth. And I'm like, I really don't feel comfortable about the situation. I'm trying to get advice. Like, I really want to play, but like, I don't know if it's worth it. And as I'm standing there, text, literally texting her, I hear a guy go, <laughs> like four tables over. And I'm like, I'm out. Fuck this. And I literally just put my guitar back on, grab my stuff and left. Because I was like, I'm not going to put myself at risk in a situation like that. All right. So now the host contacts me this evening, which which is cool. Um, I, I'm glad he contacted me. I didn't want him to think that there was anything wrong with the way he was handling things or anything like that. Um, because I know he has no control over that. Right. Um, and my conversation with him basically went something. I'm actually pulling it up so I can look at it. Um, uh, he asked me, so did I, he see that what happened last night? I thought I saw you, but by the time I was able to make it over, I couldn't find you. And I was like, I was like, I ended up getting called away by family stuff, which was kind of true because I'm not going to carry COVID home into my family. My youngest is still not fully vaccinated. Um, they got their first vaccine deal on Friday. Um, so uh, I told him, I said, I did come in and there's no harm, no foul. Meaning, you know, like you're cool. Like it's, it's all right. He's like, I'm sorry I missed you. I was looking forward to hearing you play. And he's like, how's the family stuff? How'd the family stuff work out? And I said, well, uh, I'll be back soon enough if the vaccines hold, hold, uh, hold water this winter. And chaos dies down. And I said, weekends have been brutal for me for almost two years, which is true because I spend my weekends either on a podcast or on Twitch or, you know, playing guitar for bands because I've been gigging and all this stuff, um, whatever. So then he says, I hear that open mic is the only time I get away from my family duties and secondary income in 2021. It's been difficult for us. And but then, he said, but then I said, OK, so I still have to be really careful with gigs and stuff because I have extended family with illness. And my youngest isn't fully vaccinated yet. And so he comes back and he said, uh, basically that, yeah, we have some people that are anti-vax here. And uh, he's like, I understand the caution. He's like, I do what I can. I sanitize, spray and wipe in between each performance. I use hand sanitizer constantly during it. 
And he's like, I, uh, he's like, I had, uh, COVID in January of 2020. And he said, I've been vaccinated. So, um, in addition to having it, because he knows what it's like and he doesn't want anybody else to have to go through that. And I'm sitting there kind of thinking about it. And I'm like, I, even going out to Pollyanna, which I've been doing religiously for, you know, a couple of months now, it's like, it's a bad situation. You know, like there's people in that room that probably are being totally irresponsible and think things either can't happen to them or don't buy that this is a real phenomenon that's occurring, even though it's been going on for two years. And I'm sure everybody has had somebody who's been affected by it either through death or, or severe illness at this point. Um, this thing is no joke. And I just had one of those moments the other night where I was like, you know what? I have to check out for my health on this one. And it, not just my physical health, but my mental health, because I'm standing in a room and let me tell you, let me describe to you the makeup. And this is part of what made me to realize that I didn't want to be there. Um, and it's not, this is not me being ageist. We know that this disease affects people of greater age more significantly than it does younger people. Um, I would say eight out of 10 people in that room were in their fifties, sixties, or seventies. And there is one gentleman that performs there all the time and he's 95 years old. Okay. And I'm sitting there thinking, this is freaking madness. And I am not going to contribute to madness. We've had enough madness in the last two years. Like it just didn't feel right to me to be there. So I packed up and I left. And I don't have any remorse about it. I didn't whine about it all day today. I was a little disappointed last night because I didn't get to play. But but even then, I was thinking, like, those people don't care about how I play. They don't care about what I'm doing. It might have been fun, you know, especially for me. But, like, it's not like those guys are going to, you know, be looking up my name on Instagram or something to follow me or, you know, like, buy one of my albums or something in some future venture. So I was just like, okay, no big deal and walk away from it and not worry about it. And it actually made me rethink like how I'm going to spend my winter. Am I going to be seeking out these kinds of playing opportunities or am I going to focus on my craft? And I think I'm going to do what I did in 2020, which is to just focus on my craft. Anyway, Jim, take it away. It's your uh, gig report now. Sorry, I dominated for like 25 minutes. Sorry, I was on mute because my nose yeah you've been so, if for, for our audio listeners jim has been like literally like blowing his nose the entire podcast um oh it's i, I really feel bad. bad for you man yeah it's bad it's been getting worse even though i took mucinex right before i started but anyway let me get through this so we had a gig um and i have an upcoming gig so i'll talk about both uh, what's what happened and what's going to happen so as i said i already mentioned about my audio problems but otherwise that gig went well um i had a little trouble hearing myself because we really kind of wound up sharing a monitor which wasn't supposed to happen so the mix was a little bad and i had to rely on um them getting the kemper right in there and the problem with a lot of mixes is any as as any time when you're alone in there it sounds great but when you start adding other instruments, it starts to get muddied up. So, and because it wasn't my mix, it was our mix. It needed to have things in there and at levels that he needed and that I needed. And 
he could hear himself well. I could hear myself well. It's, it's a up. crappy situation, and I've actually been known yeah. to throw my wedge in the car just in case. Yeah, which I should have because I've got a wedge right here at my right behind me. So that'll be taken care of next time. Um. So uh, the other thing that uh, happened, um, you know, was that we have a. Um, it, it was good. It was fun. It was exciting. It was a. It was a. Um, one of those things where uh, people had a good time. A lot of dancing, um, and we had a, a few of those uh, flashes, uh, so to speak. And there was a there was a funny. Uh, being a Halloween gig, it was fun, um, and it was this funny. Uh, this one woman was like enamored with our singer. And she kept trying to dance and catch his attention. <laughs> he did not give it to her. And uh, he tried to reach out to to shake her hand, and she literally tried to pull him off the stage. It was it was hilarious. Um, and uh, then she had this stool. I kind of have to do this demonstration thing for you. She had this stool that she was leaning over. It was like those bar stools with no back. It was just the yeah, seat yeah. type thing. So just four legs on the top, right? And she had it like like an old lady with a walker. Only she was bending over it trying to be sexy, I'm not sure. <laughs> and she literally picked it up, try not to hit my microphone here. She was bam, bam, bam on the ground. <laughs> they yeah, finally had to It would have been really funny if it broke. It, no, it was made of metal. The thing that was gonna break was the floor. They finally had to get her out of there because she was just going nowhere. And I think I don't know if it was her boyfriend or dad, what, whatever it was that was the guy that was with her. It was pretty funny. So um, I'm playing bass. We're we're doing musical musical musicians. Our bassist and our drummer can't be there. Usually what would happen is if the bass can't be there, the drummer would move to bass and right. get a drummer. Or if the drummer can't be there, we'd just get a set of drummer. Right. But you played bass before, so it's like, oh, well, maybe that guy can do it. Yeah. So um, we're bringing in a a guy to play guitar for me that's played guitar with us before. And then I'm playing bass. Then we've got a drummer that's coming in. So – yeah, we've got we've got two replacements, but we've actually got three replacements because I'm moving over to bass rather than bring a bass player in. So, yeah, that's what's happening. It's it's going to be different. Um, as you can see, my wallet. Was, I, I've got look at this. I'm a terrible YouTuber, guys. Look, I don't have a, a lot of like fireflies and, and yeah, wires like, hanging behind me. Jim, Jim, can I ask a question um, though? So you're doing yeah. this different. So you're doing this different thing, pants. like where you're playing. Um, where you're playing bass is that's not a permanent arrangement though, right? Like you're just doing no, that for no, that's one gig. One gig, yeah. So you played that that was the other gig was a Halloween gig? Yeah. And I took my white Les Paul custom. Halloween gigs are always wild like that. Yeah. That's kind of a notorious thing. So crazy fun. Fun and crazy, how we will look at it. Um and I'm looking forward to playing bass for one gig. Um it was funny because I did a rehearsal already as the bass player and 
I, I'm playing bass for about five or six songs. And the other guitar player turns around to me and goes, damn, you're a good bass player like that. <laughs> and I said, don't get used to it. <laughs> I said, uh, don't keep your, don't get your hopes up too high and don't get used to it. Because <laughs> I just don't want to become a bass player. And that's because I know I'm a good bass player. I do. I do. I know I was. And and I played bass almost exclusively. I don't think I played 100 hours of guitar for th three or four years while I played bass. And there was a time when I was playing bass for one band, playing guitar for another band. So, and sometimes the same songs, which can get very confusing. It would be really funny if you showed up with the wrong instrument. So I'm going to tell you, I'll tell you a little short story and then... And then we can go out. So during rehearsal, the other the guy that's sitting in for me playing hurts so good. Okay. So I always intro the song because I know the chord progression for the intro, which is not hard. Yeah. But it is very specific. The rhythm is very precise, and there's very specific chord voicings. And so he goes, he plays it. I said, you're doing something wrong. The last chord, that progression is wrong. He goes, no, it's right. And I said, it's wrong. It's You're playing the wrong chord there. I said, I don't know what you're playing, but you're playing the wrong chord there. So I said, you want me to show you how? He goes, no, I'm here. I'll, I'll play it for you. And then he plays. I go, that's right. And then he goes, okay. And then he, and I, But that's wrong. And he goes, I played the same thing. I said, no, you played it differently. I said, play it again. I said, that's right. And then he played, that's wrong. And... He goes, no, it's right. And I go, and I go, no, it's wrong. And he goes, and everybody was like, but he just played the same thing twice. And I said, no, we didn't listen. And uh, plays it again. I go, that's right. That's wrong. <laughs> Play it. Okay. That's right. Play that. Then he played. I said, no, that's wrong. And I thought I was. I don't know I, if, I he's right, was, if you're right or wrong on that one. I, I, I have no frame reference. So. Oh, I was right. I was right. I'm sure. No, I was right because what he was doing was he was introing it, right? Mm -hmm. And the song goes da 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 da, -da. Uh, and he played da 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 da. -da. I said, no, it's da 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 It's the same chords. Yeah. The same chords. So you don't change chords in the intro. Always ends on A. You're emphasizing the E. I need you to emphasize the A. Not the E and the A, the A. <laughs> I said, you have to emphasize that every time. Why? Because I start singing on that. And, and that's my guide. That's my guide tone. Tell me where to sing. And you're playing the wrong chord. If you play the wrong chord, I'm going to get, I'm going to sing the wrong melody line. Yeah. And so it's one of those things where, you know, you, you, you think about um, some of this stuff and how sometimes it's not important, you know, but I went through the same thing at church. You know, I'm playing at church again. And it was at church, and I said, the bass player says to me, he goes, I'm playing this. And I go, no, that's not it. I said, it's this. And he and uh, he goes, no, but it's written like this. I said, I don't care. It's written. That's wrong. This is right. 
And then, so the pianist is playing, and I said, I'll show you. I said, pianist, show me what you're playing. And she showed me, and I go, hear that? That's what you want to play. And he goes, what? And I go, that. Play that again. And I told her, I said, Jess, play that again. And she plays. And I go, okay, play that. And he goes, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and it, it's very, to me, it's it's in here. You know, I hear it. And I, and I can translate it. But I kept trying to tell him, it is chromatic. But it's not chromatic where you think it is. It's chromatic in another spot. Because he's going from C to E, right? That's the that's the movement. I said, but you're not going. It's not C, C sharp D E. It's C D E sharp E, because we're in E major, and you're using that as a passing tone. Get to where you're going. I said, what she's playing is that, and if you play yours against hers, you're one note behind her. Because you're starting on C sharp and she's starting on D. So now you're playing D sharp against D and then D sharp against D. And that doesn't make any sense. So you're always playing, a, 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 which I guess if you wanted to get that, that um, what do you call it? Not dissonance. Um, that dissonant sound, that'd be great. But you're playing a church, you don't want that dissonant sound. <laughs> it doesn't work. It's okay if you're playing like, you know, your own thing, but you're playing the church music. So, and it's funny because it, the, um, you know, they rely on me for those kinds of things when they go to the, you know, to those. They're they're like, we're glad you're back because, you know, somebody wrote these things above. It wasn't written in sheet music form. It was written in it's letters, like, like lead sheets, right? Right. And you're going. Oh, like, no, yeah. this harmony's wrong. <laughs> like, what are you doing? Yeah. Um, that would not be a major. It would be, you know. <laughs> right. Or that would that would be. A, and of course, he's a bass player. So he's like every other bass player. I don't know. Major I, only need, I only need the root note. Like, <laughs> I don't need that. Uh, all I, all I can't do is root notes, fifths and, and uh, you know, root notes and fifths and octaves. Like, <laughs> yeah. Let me tell you something. Once you play a third, pal, you better know your majors. <laughs> or, yeah. or a sixth or a seventh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, it was fun. It's fun. All so, right. anyway, that's my, that's my stuff. We're I'm done. Up. We're wrapping up. I've been David. I've been Jim. And tonight we've been practical guitarists.